0: Welcome to Hooplecast. I'm your host, Matt, and Journey Mirror my co-hosts.
1: Meryl. <laughs> Mel, Would do we do that out of order? Yeah, it but it still worked, though. still worked.
0: Kind of. I mean, you overlapped your names, but... Oh, really? We it's, all know who you people are. It sounded like, to me, it sounded like she
2: said hers after me.
0: Well, maybe through the magic of editing, I'll space them out, but probably not. So. <laughs> we Welcome try back. try it
3: again. Uh,
2: Has it been
0: two months? I don't know. Probably. a while. Last time we did the, uh, the Deadwood RPG,
3: yes.
0: mm-hmm. <clears throat> when I was fun. coherent, it was fun. Then I got <laughs> bored and drunk and couldn't finish it. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> yeah! And okay. I didn't understand a lot of it. Like, I didn't get why
2: I wasn't rolling my dice more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: you wanted more action. So yeah, well,
2: more action. That was kind of your fault. You had to, like, make things happen in order to get the opportunity to roll dice. Yeah. 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 Be a mover. Right. Such a And I was kind of like,
0: eh, whatever <laughs> you want. <laughs> come, go. Because I'm playing a character. I was playing Al Swearingen, and that's a character who doesn't like to get his hands dirty. Mm-hmm. So if I was to really play Al, I would sit in my office, and people come to me, and I send them to go do things, but I pretty much am by myself.
3: But you also <laughs> can call people in to order them to do stuff. I yeah. mean, you're... Al's a chess player. He but yeah. how
0: do I roll then if he if moves I'm if someone else?
3: Board.
0: Okay, well I have to think about it. We'll have to get back together and finish that campaign. Yeah, line. yeah. Because um, <laughs> I want to know who killed Cy Tolliver. That was the <laughs> that was the premise. Yep. Yeah, gotta gotta know who killed him so I can shake his hand. <laughs> ah,
2: I, mean, I wanted to, I wanted to know how my epic roll against that that dude was gonna go down. I got him to do what I want. <laughs>
3: when somebody realized that Seth doesn't talk a lot, it's like, yeah. (laughs) No. He just, you know, stares a lot. Yes. That's okay.
2: You do a lot of smoldering.
3: Smoldering. Lots of smoldering. Lots of contained rage.
0: (laughs) You could find Alma and stupor.
3: She wasn't (laughs) in the stup. She wasn't stupor. Stup. There we go. Uh, (laughs) Now we're into into Yiddish. We were doing French before, now we're into Yiddish. Um, But uh, Alma wasn't in the the character list.
0: No, but you can still find her as an NPC and then make Steve play Alma. I love
3: it. Yeah, it's an idea.
0: Well, we're here to talk about uh, two HBO programs, In Treatment and... John Adams. But before we get there, got a little bit of HBO news. First up, Sopranos prequel movie. Oh. Who who asked for that? Not oh. Me. What? Not me. Twenty years after the show ended. I don't know when did that go off the air. Probably.
3: I think they just uh, had an anniversary, but I don't remember I'm which look one. look it up.
0: Last episode aired two thousand seven.
3: Okay.
0: So ten years ago. So
3: they had a ten year anniversary. Years.
0: So the Sopranos creator David Chase has sold a screenplay to Studio New Line for a prequel to his classic HBO mob series called The Many Saints of Newark. The script is set in New Jersey City in the 60s at the time of the riots when racial tensions between the city's black and Italian-American residents was at a boiling point. The script is written by Chase and Soprano's writer, Lawrence Connor. No plot details are available, but the time period indicates that young versions of Tony Soprano's parents— Giovanni, aka Johnny Boy, and Olivia, as well as Uncle Junior, will appear, and maybe even Tony as a boy. Uh, I hate Olivia. <laughs> oh,
1: she's awful. Youth. That's the well, point. Like the young version of her too. She's kind of insufferable. I too. know that's the point, but yeah. they did their
2: job too well.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I wonder where in Newark it'll be set.
0: You gonna go down to the casting call? <laughs> Are you gonna play? Uh... <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> <laughs> you have a theater background. You
3: should play. Uh... Play a character.
0: Play an Italian I, stereotype. Dye your hair. Play uh...
3: I I so look do not look Italian. I just so don't look Italian. Um my mother people used to always think that my mother was Italian. But uh literally we'd walk into a pizza place in New York City when I was a kid and they'd start talking speaking, you know, talking Italian, discussing whether we were Italian or not, and saying, Well, the mother looks Italian, the daughter doesn't look anything like it <clears throat> So I doubtful they cast me, but uh you know, hey, if if it's on a summer break, I'll I'll apply. But I used to live right near. I lived in the Italian section of Bloomfield, which is my backyard. Was in work. Uh, do you
0: recall these riots of the sixties? Uh, that was. was it...
3: I was a. I was a kid in the sixties. I was not living down there at that time. I was in another part of New Jersey, and yes, I do remember them very well. Mm. They, it, it, I was a kid, and it was scary.
4: Mm. Yeah.
0: Even though nice it was happening
3: a ways away, it was. It was not far from where my dad was working and stuff. It was the
0: 1967 Newark riots, one of 159 race riots that swept cities in the United States during the long hot summer of 1967.
3: Yep, scary time. Hmm. I remember thinking that the world was going nuts. And 1968 came right after that, and 1968 was worse. Yeah, they that was that was some very scary times. And specifically the I remember thinking that both the kids, you know, the teenagers and stuff and the adults were all nuts hmm. because neither side was listening to the other one and everybody was making decisions about, it's very much a generational thing and, and that the adults were making these judgments about the kids without any reason and the kids were making judgments about the adults without any reason. And I just thought they were all crazy. I was like in between because I was younger than the, you know, than the kids who were doing the protesting and stuff.
0: Well, no, no casting, no plot yet, no date. Just a script, just an idea. We'll see if it happens. I would be surprised if it didn't, though. What's given more, the brand appeal. What's
2: brand. more likely, Sopranos movie or uh, uh yeah, b- b- Deadwood? No, Deadwood movie? Deadwood, yeah. <laughs> this, I'd say, the Sopranos movie
0: because the Deadwood movie, you have to get the cast back together.
4: Yeah, mm, right. And I
0: think that's the that's the difficult thing. Although. It had never occurred to me of a Deadwood prequel. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about um, how the the town of Deadwood, as we know it in the show, is such a short moment of, in time. It's like a four-year period in which it got built up and then got destroyed and like, got, like, rebuilt. And, like, everybody was off to the next big gold strike. So yeah. maybe it's more of a prequel because the gem existed before Seth Bullock showed up. Right. So I guess they could. Maybe they do a dual time period thing. You'd I'm still not have sure. Have
3: young Al in there, and yeah, and he's not that much younger than when he started, so it wouldn't really make sense to use a different actor. But then all of a sudden, um, mm. what's his name has to become really young.
0: Yeah, uh, I don't know.
3: <laughs> yeah, be weird. It would be pretty <laughs> strange, unless they did a a Deadwood sequel with totally different characters, or only a couple of the same characters
0: hmm I don't know it's a little bit I think that I just don't get how that movie's gonna work I've said it before I don't
1: I don't know if that'll work or not I I'm just I'm curious to find out yeah I just never hold out much hope for that kind of stuff yeah hashtag twin Peaks the return
3: okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember when I mean you know the mother of all of this is like Star Trek movies after Star Trek went off the air I mean they wanted to make after Star Trek went off the air in 60. Nine sixty-eight. Um, you know, they didn't think much about it until you know the fandom just kept getting bigger and bigger when it was in syndication, and then they started saying, "Oh well, okay, we'll make a movie, but we want to use a different cast." And everybody went crazy. It's like, "No, you can't do that!" And finally, it took like ten years or so, something like that, to uh get a movie out. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and they used the. The same cast. But uh But I feel years... like Star Trek is a lot more
1: franchisable than Deadwood is. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. 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 You
3: can't well, I mean, you could have <laughs> Deadwood and Deadwood the next generation. <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> Sorry, Patrick Stewart. It's elsewhere in. No,
0: <laughs> well, we talked about how the deadwood of like the show that we watched there's this whole other part of life in that town that we never got to see. you know, True. like the sort of sophisticated people who didn't make it to the area called the Badlands uh-huh. the ones that had lectures and seminars and Bible study and the nice restaurants and went to church, and, you know, we, ne- we didn't get to see that half of the town. So what if, like, they could bring back a show and do a show where it's in that half of the town and it, it just sort of intersects sometimes with the other half? But kind of what would be the point? I
1: really, or... really, now I really, really want uh, Deadwood the Next Generation with, like, all <laughs> the Star Trek TNG cast <laughs> in it. I feel like that would be so great! I don't know. Or you could do
3: um, a new series, Engine. And follow him to a different town where he starts all over again.
0: Would it be fictional? Would it be like the Lizzie Borden show where it was not really her life?
3: (laughs) I have no idea what it would be.
0: (laughs) Because the real S.W.A.R. engine died when he tried to jump on a train, if I recall correctly.
3: Okay. Well, you could pick a character. I mean, they all had, you know, there were a lot of characters in the West that, you know, minor people that you haven't heard of that had amazingly strange lives and a lot there was a lot of moving to the next town and starting over again cuz there was you know there'd be a gold strike and that's everybody would
0: cat. run sorry, there my cat.
3: <laughs> okay
0: <laughs> my cat climbed on his cat tower and proceeded to jump off of it which rocked it into the window blinds sorry oh, carol
3: oh okay no that's <laughs> that, yeah you know, who hasn't had that happen mm-hmm. so so um yeah there was all kinds of people that you know would go to a gold strike and then You know, uh, everything would run out and they would go to the next town and they would, you know, do it all over again in somewhat different ways or, you know, some other kind of life. I mean, Seth Bullock leaving being a marshal and becoming a hardware salesman is kind of one of those stories, like one piece of, you know, so they could pick a character. And Calamity Jane, she had quite a life after Deadwood.
2: Oh, I thought she just got drunk and died.
3: No, she, she hadn't. I don't think she had gone on the uh, on the on the uh, Wild West tours and stuff yet, had she?
2: Maybe not. I Can't recall. Because
3: Buffalo Bill Cody. Um, I mean, she might have gone before Deadwood and then after Deadwood again. I'm not sure, but Buffalo Bill Cody had uh, had Wild West shows, and so did uh, Wild Bill Hickok. Um, and Hickok did not take to it as well as Buffalo Bill Cody. And if I recall correctly, Buffalo Bill Cody had he had Calamity Jane and he had Sitting Bull and he had um he took people all over Europe and they you know they would do these these uh shows uh and Calamity Jane um would do shooting um demonstrations because she was a really good shot if I remember correctly.
0: The I think the problem though is that even though there are so many characters and they all have interesting lives any show that they did would be just compared to the one that came before. So oh, yeah, absolutely. So it's like, is it worth, would it be worth their time and money effort to to mount such a spin-off? And
3: what it really is, is would, um, what's his name that created the show, um, be passionate about it?
0: Because yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. yeah, his interest kind of seemed to wane toward the end of the third season, and he didn't really seem all that interested in doing another one. Um, so, without his unique style, again, is it worth doing? How familiar are you guys with Westworld? Uh, I know the
2: basics.
3: I saw the original movie years and years and years ago. Um, I have not seen the the new show.
0: It uh, its second season comes back next month. For anyone who's not familiar, it's uh, a theme park, a Western themed theme park where guests at the theme park interact with what are essentially very realistic robots and they can play cards with them they can drink with them they can have sex with them they can uh, shoot them uh beat them uh, do whatever they want to them because they are robots so they don't feel like they like, like anything matters cuz the robots will just have their memories wiped they'll just get reset and maybe they'll be repurposed in some other part of the park, or with a new identity, a new role, or maybe they just get destroyed. Uh, and then what happens over the cr- course of the first season is that they start to gain awareness that, hey, wait a minute, we're not actually real people. We're robots, and these humans are coming into our our, our world and um, abusing us. And sort of like, what are we going to do about that? Now, only a few of the characters on Westworld that are the the AI have the awareness so far, but um it's it's an extremely disturbing show because you see this just the worst characteristics of human behavior and how if no one's you know watching, hey I can rape this woman. It's not really a woman, it's just a robot. But you're like, it looks like a woman. So gross. It's like a <laughs> yeah. creepy Disney World. It's it's <laughs> very it's really disturbing. Um I have to say the first season, plot wise, uh confusing kind of Kind of like it overconfused its its audience to try and reveal some big secrets, but it was like, well, was that necessary with all the kind of confusing confusing uh, plot threads? Just to surprise us at the end with some big reveal? I didn't think so. I didn't think it was worth kind of all the the messiness of the plot. But it looked certainly looked great. It was well acted. Um, Tandy Newton was just fantastic in her role. Uh, but yeah, super super disturbing. Comes back next uh, season. They teased something in the finale of the first season. They went into a room that said SW on it, and when they opened it up, it was like ornate Japanese armor, like feudal age armor, and everyone was like, oh, SW, Samurai World. There's another theme park that's Samurai World. Well, we found out uh, from the creators that it's actually Shogun World, and we might see it next season. Um, We might also see Roman World, Medieval World, these were the theme parks that were teased in the original novel. Mm. Uh, but the, the cool thing is that at the South by Southwest conference at the beginning of the month, which is in Austin, Texas, the uh, HBO, in, in association with its like this marketing company, uh, put on like a... They basically built a town and allowed guests to experience Westworld as if it actually existed. I mean, I'm going to read from the press release here. Westworld is coming to Austin to celebrate the return of the hit series. HBO is building an entire town from the ground up for an immersive experience exclusively for South by Southwest Conference and Festival badge holders. Open for three days only, the Westworld-themed park will feature reproduced versions of iconic locations and elements from the hit HBO series, including the luxury hotel The Coronado and the Mariposa Saloon. Previous activations at San Diego Comic-Con and New York Comic-Con gave fans an opportunity to experience the unsettling interview and check-in process at Westworld. This new experience takes them even deeper into the story world of the show, allowing them to explore more than two acres of custom-built parkland. After registering for an appointment at discoverwestworld.com, guests will head to downtown Austin's Eastside Tavern to check in. A luxurious Delos shuttle will then drive them to a location just outside Austin, where they will visit a fully immersive, functional version of Sweetwater, the town at the center of the Westworld theme park from the series. Upon arrival, guests will be assigned a black hat or white hat and set loose uh, to explore the park. No guidebook, no orientation. Guests will get to live without limits as they interact with dozens of hosts. That's what they call the robots. Across a variety of narratives while hunting for clues about what's to come in Season 2, some of these clues will be hidden around the park while others can only be discovered by asking the right questions of specific hosts. They have the opportunity to sample Western-themed food and cocktails. And uncover other personalized en- elements that will make each visitor's experience unique. Once their time in the park is ended, the Delo shuttle will return guests to the East Side Tavern. The entire experience will last approximately two hours. Mm. And I've got some photos which I'm going to put in the Skype, and then later I'll uh, have to put in the Facebook group because I-, I think it's like such a cool idea to as a marketing marketing experience.
2: Is South by Southwest
0: uh, over now? Or yeah. Yeah, I think so. It was um, it was only a week or something?
3: Yeah, but I, th- I thought it happened in May or something. The, the TV festival in Austin. That happened in, like, May or June.
0: The clues scattered across the town end up taking you to a secret door where you can get your first glimpse of the newest Delos creation, a samurai sword hanging in the blacksmith shop, as well as an actual samurai patrolling the grounds unhindered giving you more hints toward the next season of the show. But if you ask one of the hosts about the Japanese influence, they'll pretend they haven't seen anything. After about two hours of adventure, your time in Westworld reaches a climax with a gunfight between all of the locals, revealing that some of the characters you've been interacting with are actually just guests like you. The employees shuffle out and hit a hard reset on their characters who return to how you found them hours before. And this person says, Even with all of the above, I feel like I'm understating how blown away I was by the effort and care that HBO put into this. My time in Westworld was immersive and exciting, and besides unplanned for a beard trim, made me more excited than ever for season two. Mm. And then lastly, uh, there was a new show that premiered on the network last month called Here and Now, and this is the one we've talked about a couple times. I'll just briefly recap what it's about from producer Alan Ball, starring Tim Robbins and Holly Hunter show is a provocative and darkly comic meditation on the disparate forces, polarizing present-day American culture as experienced by members of a progressive, multi-ethnic family. Uh, it did not get a good buzz. 25% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Some negative reviews. Edgy family drama from HBO rings false from the start. Here and now should be the next great prestige TV drama, but instead it's a crushing disappointment. An insufferably mopey family drama that's as dull and meaninglessly vague as its title. This person says, I'm not going to give up on the show right away. Ball is too good to dismiss. I'm hoping it can pull itself together. There's a lot here, but it needs to be sharpened now. Like a straight lace sketch that fell off Portlandia's truck and is now damaged beyond repair. But there were a couple of uh, positive reviews. Here and Now somehow manages to take what looks like the log line for a bad network soap and under guidance of Alan Ball, turn it into something strange and intriguing. The performances are terrific, and Ball, for all his miserablism, Knows how to write scenes that exert an emotional pull. This is the one that Will could have been an extra on, but he decided to do his real job instead. Oh. He did send us uh feedback for the first episode though. Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna play it now. We're gonna hear what Will has to say.
5: Oh. Hello, Hooper Casters. This is Sick Will. Oh. Matt asked me to leave some non-spoilery feedback uh, for Here and Now, which is a new HBO show that was filmed here locally in Portland from Alan Ball, who created True Blood and Six Feet Under. Now, the reviews are saying that it was a mess, but an interesting mess, but I didn't think it was a mess at all. Uh, maybe, well... I guess 6 feet under was kind of a mess at times but I think it's kind of like his other shows. Uh, I was really interested in the episode the whole time I watched it. I thought it was an, you know, it was another show that makes Portland and its people look weird and crazy a little bit but you know, it's kind of true. I liked how wet Portland was even when it was, it was raining but I don't think it was pouring down and raining like you see on you know when you see t v show set in Seattle, but it was nice and wet outside. It was just what I'm used to seeing in the winter uh Tim Robbins whoa, he's kind of rough looking now he's um definitely older Holly Hunter was good uh, all the children were kind of no name actors. I think most of them did a really good job um some of the characters, I think the daughter, the there's one, the couple has one biological daughter and the other, or the others are adopted. I mean, that's spoilery, but that was something I knew before I watched the show. Um, I think the biological daughter is a little bit cliched, but yes, I'll, I'm always happy to see my city on TV. I'm definitely going to keep watching the show kind of interested in the mystery of the numbers, which if you watch the show, you'll see. I kind of hope there is some supernatural element to the show, but we'll see what happens. Um, I'll talk to you all later. Bye. Bye, Will. Bye. Thanks. Bye, Will. Thank you, Will.
3: One of the charms <laughs> of Portland is that it's a little weird, and I love Portland because of it.
2: I want to see that episode that Will was an extra in. Of...
0: Uh, which, of Portlandia? Yeah. He's only in it for, like... One shot? A, let's, one shot, a second, um, in the, in the shortest sketch of the, of the whole episode, but,
2: um... And he steals it, though.
0: He, this guy does a cartwheel down the aisle, and he does a, uh, like, a surprise re- reaction, and I really bought that he was surprised by the guy <laughs> doing the cartwheel. Maybe they didn't tell them that he was going to cartwheel down the aisle. He said he ended up seeing it, like, 12 times.
2: Oh. Well, a (laughs) testament to his acting that he can still seem surprised.
0: I thought so. Oh, yeah. (laughs) All right. First up in treatment. Premiered January twenty eighth, two thousand eight. Lasted three seasons, one hundred six episodes. It was based on a an Israeli show called Beitapol, and uh, someone's going to have to recap at least the first episode. Mm-hmm. I gave an assignment to to watch the first one and then um, the one where Paul visits his own therapist, Gina. I ended up watching the middle one as well with uh, Sophie. Do you guys want to tell me like how many of these you got you watched? Sure. Two, Two. yeah.
3: Two, but it wasn't Paul visiting his own therapist. It was Alex.
0: What? No, you watched the wrong
1: one. I watched the wrong one. (laughs) We saw the one where he was visiting his therapist.
3: Oh, I saw Laura and then Alex. I thought we were supposed to watch Laura, Alex, and maybe Sophie. And I was going to watch Sophie, but then I got involved with trying to find my headphones.
0: Nope, you were supposed to watch Laura, Gina, and maybe Sophie. But that's fine because oh. now you've got something that you can talk talk to, okay. and then I can talk about the uh, the Sophie episode. Okie dokie. So uh, someone's going to recap it. I'm going to spin this wheel here. I hope it's not me.
1: Hope it's not me.
0: I feel like it hasn't been Carol in a really long time. <laughs> Mel, you've got 60 seconds oh. to, <laughs> <laughs> to recap as much of the plot as possible. Uh-huh. Um. If you go over, you lose. If you go ridiculously under, you are some sort of jump. First one or both? Uh, surprise me. You can do. You can do one, or you can do both. both.
1: Because they were only a half an hour long, anyways.
0: Okay. If you think you can.
1: Yeah. I'll
0: All right. Do your best. Yeah. There's nothing. There's absolutely nothing at stake.
1: <laughs> except for <laughs> except for my chumpness.
0: Except for your chumpness. <laughs> All right. And you'll be going, uh,
1: three, two, one, and go. Okay, so we start out with this lady, and she's crying, and you're like, why is she in this guy's living room? But it turns out it's a therapist's office. I didn't realize that at the time. Jeez, these people, do they have, like, their offices in their own houses? That's weird. Anyways, she's crying, she's got some relationship problems, and, oh, she's gonna puke, oh my god, no, she's okay now. Oh, wait, no, she's actually gonna puke, and she pukes. And then she comes back out and reveals that, oh, man, I'm in love with you, you know, I've got all these relationship problems, but it's actually because I'm in love with you, my therapist, what? (laughs) And he never noticed, and... Whatever you keep, I kept. I kept hoping that he wouldn't smell the blanket, and he didn't when he was folding it up. <laughs> <laughs> Next episode. Um, <laughs> uh, this is a terrible explanation. Um, and then he goes to see his own therapist because he's all disturbed by this woman falling in love with him. But he's actually got relationship problems of his own. He's got this weird past with his own therapist that I don't understand. And he's like, he's like, I'm really angry about this stuff. And then she accuses him of being angry. He says, no, I'm not angry. I'm not angry at all. And then he leaves.
0: <laughs> <laughs> One minute and 16 seconds. <laughs> Whatever, I don't care. I feel like you have a, a handicap that Matt distracts you when you're trying to do it. Well, That's
1: really? Me. What? Is that true? No, it's me. Guess... I'm a fucking dumbass. So I'm just... <laughs> I, I got to no.
2: stop dancing around the room.
1: No, it's uh, no, I just get distracted really easily by my own mind anyways. Yeah. So, <laughs> I can't tell a story. Anyways, yeah. That's that's how I re- I just I remember one thing and then I remember something before that and then I remember something after that and then yeah. I'm a hurricane. Yep.
3: <laughs> that's funny. <fine.
1: laughs>
3: hurricane <laughs> Mel
0: Yes.
1: You
0: know. So again this was adapted from an Israeli show. It it was then it was adapted in several other countries. Romania, Czechoslovakia, Poland, Hungary, Serbia, Netherlands, Slovenia, Argentina, Brazil, Portugal, Russia, Italy, Japan, Croatia, Macedonia, and then a little country called Canada. No. Oh. Yeah, There was a French-Canadian adaptation called End Therapy, mm. and it aired on TV5 Quebec. Mm. Why?
2: What was why? it adapted besides somebody going to the therapist? Was it the same characters? Um, this this first season was an English
0: adaptation of the, the Israeli scripts from their show, but then in its second and third seasons, it was new characters, new problems. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Carol's going, why, why? The same
3: therapist? Why? Yeah well why why did all these countries feel the need to adapt this show i, don't. I think it's
0: an easy i think it's an easy premise yeah, <clears throat> just have characters have a dialogue solve yeah. a problem you don't really have to it's very just cheap have one to set. make
3: cheap to I make get, I get that it's very cheap to make
0: every country's going to have its own cultural problems that where it's you know a uh an american problem is not the same as a romanian problem as a japanese problem
3: uh-huh so. but but it's like i don't know. It, i found it unsatisfying let's put it that way yeah it was okay but it was i was very unsatisfying for me
2: where um where did we see the therapist before where, where what's he been in he reminded me of brian cox uh
3: was he Gabriel burn usual suspects
2: oh uh.
1: That's where I've seen him. Have you? Okay.
3: <clears throat> that's where I thought I'd seen him because it took me a little while to like see him, but I think it was Usual Suspects. Mm.
0: Um, yeah, he was in Usual Suspects, End of Days, <clears throat> Stigmata, Miller's Crossing, Excalibur. Smell a Sense of Snow. That's the one I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> you've never
3: so this. Seen Usual Suspects?
0: <clears throat> yeah,
2: Usual Suspects.
3: No, I said you've never seen Usual Suspects. No,
2: I've never seen that. You should see it. Did you guys? Yeah. Did you guys feel uh, bad for this lady at all? Like, when she's like, nope. uh, my life is over, I left <laughs> Andrew, blah, 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 it's just all...
1: I thought she had murdered him at first, because I'm like, "Geez, like, you're being really dramatic. Like, I really did some awful, awful things. Like, you you would be so disgusted And we, with we find me.
2: out it's all just first world problems.
1: Yeah, <laughs> really, I was like, eh. <laughs> Well, that's what therapy
2: is, you know. I, I suppose. Know. But it just, like... Just the snot and everything, I thought she'd done something really, really terrible <laughs>
0: well in in her small world, then having sex with a stranger in a bathroom or giving him a hand job at least is like cheating on the guy who has professed his love to her That's true she, mm-hmm. she she feels like she betrayed him. at one point, she said she like committed infidelity or something, but they're
3: not married mm-hmm. you know? but she che- she well she said she cheated on him and
1: she And then she meant
2: And then she expands on it and she's like she just cheated on him like basically emotionally.
1: Like in her imagination yeah. she yeah. cheated on him.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I mean because yeah. if you're I mean, it definitely got the feeling that the hand job was to keep her from getting raped. Um mm-hmm. so that doesn't quite qualify though. Um, you know, getting going into the bathroom kind of with the guy, I mean she she well, he followed.
0: Water. He followed her in. Right. Well, that's creepy. That's cre- oh, yes.
3: in- incredibly creepy. Yeah. At which at which point, you know, you definitely turn around and leave again. But
1: well, I but she mean, did, she I mean, she- also decided that she was into it too.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, he yeah gave she decided she was drinks. into
1: it. Yeah. He gave
2: her all those drinks. He's entitled to follow her into the
4: bathroom.
3: Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, right. <laughs> and and in that she was that drunk. You know, she really the whole thing was, you know, a lot of guilt that she shouldn't have had on her shoulders. Admittedly, people do that to themselves anyway. They still feel incredibly guilty, even if it's you know, not, they didn't do anything all that bad, or it was not really, you know, in their control per se.
2: And was that guy Uh, was that guy nagging her? Is that how he was
6: hitting on her? Like saying she,
2: like it looked good on her to be sad or something?
6: Yeah. We went out for a drink on a at a club that she likes on Chester Street. Uh, she tried to calm me down, put things into perspective. And she said. She said that I was lucky. That she wished somebody loved her enough to give her an ultimatum. And then we drank. Well, I drank. And uh, there was this guy at the bar and at some point Alona said that she was tired and that she needed to go home and then that guy moved next to me and um, you know what he said he said you look so sad and I said really and he said yeah you do it looks good on you looks good on you I mean, whatever happened to do you have the time or haven't we met before? I must be totally out of touch, Paul. What do you think? I mean, do I look good when I'm sad?
2: I, I don't think anybody looks good when they're sad.
1: Yeah.
2: Is he a pickup artist?
1: Well, yeah, she even said that uh, it yeah. sounded like he had done that before because yeah. he was all, like, you know, so expert at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: He knew just exactly what he was doing. Yeah, I mean, he waited for the other woman to leave, and then he moved in and and then filled her with a lot more drinks.
2: hmm so, He's a super-synoter. Um, I,
1: I, I think the thing that I, I don't like about shows like this is that there's just so, like, it's so awkward to watch someone uh, be so revealing about themselves, I guess.
4: Mm-hmm. You know, so
1: this is supposed to be a private moment between this woman and her therapist. It's just like that show about, that was all about uh, people's sexual relationships. It's just that I got that same feeling of awkwardness watching it. I, with For me. The,
3: that, yeah, that didn't bother me. What bothered me was that, okay, we're doing a little slice of life. We're doing, you know, 27 minutes of, you know, life or whatever it is. And, you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, there's a whole school of plays that are like this, too where something fairly small happens and then it ends and life goes on for the characters and sometime or another it's kind of resolved but you're not going to see it because it's the show's over and I, I kind of felt like okay we have the be kind of the beginning of a story and then it stops and we go to the next story and I just found that very unsatisfying it's like either tell me the story or don't tell me the story but
0: I think personally, I think it's a clever structure because they give you just enough information in, in 30 minutes that you think you un- that you're understanding a facet of this person's uh, personality and and disorder. And then it they drop like a little tease about some other bigger reveal. And then you'll check in on them next week, next Monday, when she has your next appointment.
3: Oh, she's coming back.
0: Yeah, that's the structure oh. of the show. Every oh. every Monday, every Monday for nine weeks. Laura visits Paul and has her therapy. Every Tuesday oh. for nine weeks, it's Alex. Every Wednesday is Sophie. Every Thursday night, you'll turn in for 30 minutes to watch Amy and Jake. And then on Friday, you're going to watch uh, Paul go to see Gina, his therapist <laughs> slash mentor.
1: This show aired oh. seven times a
0: week? It aired five times a week. Oh, what? Oh. That's
3: crazy. For nine okay. weeks. I had no I idea. I thought this was just... I thought it was just like these random things. It was like 27 minutes of somebody and then they drop it. Oh, so you do get to see the rest of it. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And well, then. That
3: makes more sense.
0: Okay. Then, so now you can understand why they would have adapted it now.
3: Yeah. Now, now yeah. that makes more sense because this was just like, okay, let's have random 27 minutes of somebody and then they're gone and it's like 27 minutes of somebody else. Okay. All right. All right. I'm with it they, now.
0: Now, the network didn't um, – let's see here. They didn't do five episodes a week in season season three. They went to four episodes a week. How many seasons but, did it last? It lasted three seasons. Um, the first season was over nine weeks, and then the second season was over seven weeks. Seven weeks, the third season as well. 106 episodes. And total, he ends up seeing uh, – was it four – Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve different patients, I think overall i'll I'll read the different patients and their uh problems to you, so Laura is an anesthesiologist who is erotically fixated on Paul, Alex, a fighter pilot traumatized by a recent mission gone wrong in Iraq, Sophie, a suicidal teenage gymnast, Amy and Jake. In couples therapy to decide whether or not to end her pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Mia, successful. It sounds bad when I just distill all their problems down to right. suicidal teenage gymnast. But <laughs> uh, Mia, successful malpractice attorney, former patient of Paul's from 20 years ago, who blames him for her present status. Unmarried, childish workaholic who makes poor choices in men. Uh, April, Pratt Institute architecture student diagnosed with lymphoma. She has been concealing it from everyone but Paul and appears to be in denial about the severity of her illness. That's played by Allison Pill. Uh, Oliver, Bess, and Luke. Oliver, the 12-year-old son of Bess and Luke, a divorcing couple who blames himself for his family's chaos. Walter, played by John Mahoney, friend of the podcast. <laughs> Self-confident CEO with a history of panic attacks who finds his life is becoming overwhelming. Sunil, after his wife's death, 52-year-old Sunil emigrated to the United States from Calcutta per her wishes to live with his son and daughter-in-law. In deep depression over her death and angry about his daughter-in-law's insensitivity, Sunil is happy to have Paul to talk to even though psychotherapy is stigmatized in his culture. Francis, played by Deborah Winger, a very successful actress, Francis comes to see Paul after hearing about him from her sister who saw him decades ago. She's having trouble remembering her lines in the play she's having, she's uh, that she's in. Her issues may stem from the fact that her Sister has breast cancer, as her mother did. She fears she may be next. Jesse is a teen- teenager living with his adoptive parents. He harbors significant anger towards his adoptive family and towards himself. By, ter- by turns aggressive, capriciously manipulative, fearful, abrasive, vulnerable. He's been peddling prescription drugs and sleeping with older men. His world turns upside down when he receives a call from his birth mother. And then Adele, played by Amy Ryan, a psychoanalyst recommended by a neurologist, Pauls to prescribe sleep medication. She points out several areas in Paul's life worth talking about, specifically his relationship with Gina, his own therapist and uh despite his uh that's not really that interesting uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. doesn't sound like she has a problem. It sounds like she she becomes a catalyst for Paul to resolve some sort of plot thread for him uh, so you know lots of different problems patients
2: how much patients
0: guests, uh, I think there's like twelve is that what I said? So, overall. Okay,
2: so it's not like you can't tune it tune in every Monday to see Laura then.
0: <laughs> no, you tune you tune in every Monday to see Laura. Oh. This was over three seasons.
2: Oh right? over so, three seasons.
0: Okay.
3: So yeah. the first season has five has four patients and his therapist, and the second season has another four and his therapist, or yeah. Okay. And then uh the third season has three or two in his therapist. Well, no,
0: the third one has five.
3: Oh, I thought you said it was only three. Oh, no, no. Thir- it was fourth season that had three. He cut back on his hours. Something like that.
0: Yeah, yeah he
3: w- he was looking to do something else with his life, so he cut back on his. He only did three hmm. days a week.
0: And then there's various like um, guest actors that show up for as the daughter-in-law, as the adoptive parents, as, you know, whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. Paul's own wife is played by Michelle Forbes, who I love. I mean, ever since she was Rolarin on Star Trek TNG. Oh,
3: yeah, I remember her.
0: May Whit- Mae Whitman plays her his daughter. So
2: did the was this show like pretty well received or
3: It
0: was. It wasn't um a rating success, but it won several enemies Emmys and was nominated for several Emmys. It
2: won several enemies. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, Gabriel Byrne won Best Lead Actor in Drama Series. Diane Wiest won Diane Wiest Best actress. Best Supporting Actress in the Drama Series. very
3: good, usually. Uh,
0: she plays, uh, Gina, his mentor-slash-friend-slash-therapist. Oh, cool. That's the Friday one. That's the one you didn't see.
3: <laughs> I, you know what? Now that I think about it, I thought I saw something, a clip of something. Maybe it was on the Emmys or something like that, where, uh, she was pe- playing a therapist. So Power- I might have gotten a clip of
1: that their relationship seemed so passive aggressive or something it was really weird it was just like they would just get angry at each other and then smile as if nothing happened and then get angry at each other again and then just kind of take swipes at each other and it's just like what's happening here (laughs) why like why are you guys acting like you just didn't insult each other like Mm. you know what is going (laughs) on i don't know do you think What do you think? Are you talking
2: about him and his therapist? Yeah,
1: him and his therapist. Yeah,
2: it was very weird.
1: It was very passive-aggressive.
2: I didn't... I think part
0: of the problem is that they didn't establish what their relationship was going to be before he walked into her office. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, she's like, I don't know what you want from me. It's basically, at one point, is what she says. Like She's like, I'm failing because I don't understand... What what do you want me to be? You want me to be your friend? You want me to be your your therapist, your mentor? Like, w- what is this relationship? Well, maybe establish that before he shows up.
7: Yeah, like yeah. on the
0: phone. Like, yeah, she's she's retired. She said before she's retired. She's writing a novel. She's but but it's like if you want to reconnect with an old friend, you do it over dinner. You wouldn't come in,
1: to her office. What I found interesting is that he was worried about being angry towards his patients. You know, he was just kind of uh, sharing that with her. And then she ended up getting losing her temper with him. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I found interesting that they kind of both uh, have the same problem, you know. But then they're both like, you know, no, I'm awesome. I'm an awesome therapist and blah, blah, blah. But I'm going to get angry at you right now. <laughs> like, I, <don't laughs> know. So I, I didn't like the whole, like, it was so confusing. Like, I just didn't know where they stood with anything, you know.
8: The last time you were here, you were so angry. You didn't even come to the funeral. I thought, how angry he must be. He didn't even come to David's funeral.
9: I'm really sorry about that, Gina. I had... I was going to come, but I felt that it was... I felt it was inappropriate...
8: Then you call me out of the blue?
9: Yes, because I needed somebody to talk to.
8: You were the one who chose to stop having a supervisor. You said I interfered with your practice. That instead of guiding, I was interfering.
9: Yes, I said that.
8: But then there are times when a supervisor has to take a stand. In your case, I felt I had to take a stand. I had to interfere.
9: But that's not the way I feel now. I mean that's ancient history. Why do we have to go there? <clears throat> anyway, whatever happened, I always felt that you were somebody professionally I could I could at least
8: talk to. Me? I'm already retired.
0: I think they're feeling it out. I think yeah. Well, they haven't seen each other in a while and so they have to be so weird. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what the next time he sees her, maybe they, once they've kind of gotten through all this sort of, like, pretense and stuff, if they can't actually get into I guess, actual it, therapy. And
2: I don't this, know. And this is mean of me to say I'm I'm aware, but she looks like she's having an allergic reaction to something. <laughs> Come on! <laughs> she, kind of squinty? Yeah, she has, like, slits for her eyes. She looks like
0: she's puffing up. <laughs> I don't know. She always looks like that. Mm-hmm. I, I really hated her character in Little Man Tate. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're and that's why to... I I've never really warmed to Diane Weest. Sort of like it what I call the Jeremy Sisto effect could have easily been the Diane Weest effect because I I've never liked her because of that performance. She was so good in that, but I really hated her in that. It wasn't her fault. It was the character. Yeah,
3: it was the character.
0: It's funny I mean, hearing you guys talk about like their first world world problems and that's basically how Paul feels when he goes to to see Gina. He's like my patients just complain and whine, and I am sick of it. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that kind of was. I was thinking about what it would be like to be a therapist, and I was like, No, I don't think I could ever do that. Just if I had to deal with a girl like uh, Linda <laughs> or Laura, Laura, Linda, <laughs> Laura. <laughs> yeah, 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 Linda, Laura. Um, yeah, I don't know if I could do that. Like. And just, like, someone giving you... pro, Like, they're giving you personal problems at that point. Like, this girl comes to him and says, Oh, I've been in love with you for a year and you've never noticed. (laughs) And it's like, uh, I don't need this in my life right now. (laughs) I already have problems in my marriage. Like, you know, it's kind of... I don't know. It's kind of shitty. (laughs) It would be hard to separate yourself from it. Well, I
3: was actually surprised with the Laura one when he was like, Okay, um... So, you know, I'm totally off limits. Yeah. You're totally off limits to me and I'll see you next week. Because uh, my understanding is that a lot of therapists at that point would have said, okay, I need to find you another therapist.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I would be, I would wonder would this ha- just happen with another therapist if this person has these types of problems? Yeah, are, I you mean, just, I would... are you just like, are you just starting over like their infatuation with somebody else or are you? making it work like i don't know how how you would handle that i guess cuz i'm not a therapist
3: yeah i i wonder if in the next 8 weeks he was dealing with the fact that she was you know that she thought she was in love with her therapist and whether this happened a lot to her yeah
0: well in the wikipedia summary she's some sort of like not an nymphomaniac but she's 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 prone to erotic transference mm-hmm. so If if he just sent her to another therapist, even a female therapist, would she all of a sudden start to, you know, fixate on them unhealthily? Maybe he needs to see her a couple more times before he can make that determination, like, you really have to see somebody else.
6: Yeah.
0: This was just the first reveal of that, and it happened right at the end.
6: Right. You know why I didn't fuck that guy? Not because of Andrew. Not because I didn't want to cheat on him. I do want to cheat on him. But with you. When I was sitting there at the bar by myself, I was thinking, what would happen if you were to walk in? You'd walk in, you'd, you'd sit next to me at the bar, you'd order a drink. I'd even, I even tried to imagine what you would order. I shot a bourbon, maybe something expensive, something fancy. And we start talking. What a coincidence it is to meet like this, how awkward it is to meet outside the office. And then without words, because we we talk enough when we're here, he motioned for me to follow you to the bathroom. And I do. And I went into the stall with that guy I imagine it was you behind me. That's what made it so exciting. And that guy started peeing. And it woke me up and I realized that it's impossible. I know it. I understand it. I tell myself that every time I walk out of here. I know it. I understand it. But I'm not sure that my body understands it. I know it can never happen. I know it. So don't worry, I'm not going to start showing up here. I'm not going to start stalking you like Glenn Close in that movie. I'm not going to boil your kid's rabbit. I'm not dangerous. At least not to you. God, how can I go back to my life? To the hospital, to Andrew. Not to Andrew when the only thing that matters to me is you. And I'm not
0: sure that she was the best patient to kick off the show.
3: Yeah, I can see that. Um, Alex, by the way, uh, the second one, the Tuesday one, um, very, very different, insufferable in a lot of ways. But uh, you know, he had some he had some big problems. Um, he uh, it wasn't just the fighter pilot who, or not the fighter pilot, but the the pilot who who uh, accidentally killed 16 children um, and whose picture is being sent around the Middle East with the price on his head. Um, but he also died um, and was brought <clears> back <throat> to life as well. So he's had a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> he's,
0: Yeah. You, and you must feel like a, as a therapist, hearing one patient's problems to another and, and to them they're kind of like you know, like to Laura slash Linda, she would think that her problems are, you know, that's the biggest crisis in her life, yeah. and Paul has to sit there and listen to her and empathize with her and help her through her problems, but then you have someone like Alex who bombed 16 kids, and you're like, Laura, shut up. Yeah,
3: exactly. Yeah. And and has a price on his head now. Yeah. So. and And... Went running for 22 miles, had a heart attack and died and was brought back to life and did not see. And he said he's very, very aggressive and he's very like, OK, you know, who are you and proved me that you're good. And this kind of thing, because I'm the best, you know, that kind of deal. And uh, a lot of ego. And it was interesting because he said, um, I'll bet I know what you want to ask. You want to you want to know about the light. You want to know about the tunnel. And the guy says, no, nah, that's not really what I was going to ask. It's, you know, and apparently that's all anybody wanted to know when he when he was brought back was, you know, did you see the light? Was there a tunnel? Was there this, that? It's like, no, there wasn't anything.
0: Oh, now I know what you're talking about. Before, like, the tunnel, like, oh, well, I don't really know. There's some tunnel that he was in.
3: <laughs> no, no. <laughs> you
0: uh, mean the light at the end of the tunnel. Like
3: the the light that, you know, people yes, say yes, they, I get when they die and, <laughs> You know, there was a light or there was a tunnel or there was some kind of thing. And, you know, um, and he's like, everybody wants to know about it. And there wasn't any. So now he's like, everybody is all disappointed because he didn't see this thing. And and death is just death. And and he's got these 16 kids on his brain. But that doesn't bother him. He's He's absolutely certain that, you know. He has no problem with the 16 kids. That was his mission. He did his mission. He succeeded in his mission. The fact that, you know, there was incorrect information is not his problem.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, he's in denial.
3: Exactly. And, uh, and then he tells him that he's going, he's going to go, he's going to fly to Baghdad that night. Um, and he wants to know if, if he, the, he's there to find out if the psychotherapist thinks that he should fly to Baghdad. And the therapist's like, no, <laughs> I don't think you should. There's a price mm-hmm. on your head. Yeah, but have you seen that picture? It's an old picture. Nobody's going to recognize me. So yeah, it, it definitely took a turn between the Monday and the Tuesday appointments.
0: Yeah. And one thing I liked about this show is that I could pick the episodes I watched and generally they didn't. I didn't have to watch all of them. Mm. Like the mbeth David's josh josh charles one, where there are a couple trying to determine whether or not to keep her pregnancy. I found them both insufferable, so I didn't watch that one.
3: Yeah, it would be <laughs> almost... Would, I'm sorry. It would almost be tempting to watch, like, all of Monday, all of Tuesday, you know. But I know yeah, that would...
0: You definitely be- could. You could.
3: But so would you- that kind of screw up his reaction at the end of the week?
0: Um, yeah. I mean, if you wanted to watch, like, if you wanted to watch that, I suppose. And I also recall, like, at the beginnings of some of these episodes, you might see his family. So there's, like, kind of, might be, like, a little bit of a recurring storyline that you get real short glimpses of. I'm not, I don't know how, how much of an effect it would have if you did watch all of Mondays, all of Tuesdays in a row.
2: you Did they,
1: did they, so did they go through the whole, like, uh... Scene that the doctor was describing when he was saying that he told that couple to get an abortion. <laughs> did they do that in the episode? Um,
0: I didn't watch that one, so oh, okay. I can't recall oh, if he okay. did or not. But he did describe to to Gina his uh, patient Alex, who as being so like macho, right? Mm-hmm. So, because hmm. I, I think it's important that he has his own therapist, someone to talk to at at the end of the of the week. Because you don't get to hear Paul's thoughts about these people. Exactly. Because he keeps his thoughts private or in a journal or whatever. Um, and you can't have him just talk to anybody because that violates patient, um, doctor patient confidentiality. But he can talk about them and his thoughts about them to another therapist, his mentor slash supervisor. So, and, and that's what she, she was like, she was a, um a super, in a supervised capacity, but then he accused her of being too um controlling, I guess, and interfered in his practice, so he severed their relationship and now he's kind of come back to her. So I I think it's really clever how they how they include that Friday appointment.
3: Well it also goes along with the whole thing of the show. You know, if he if he went out to a bar on Friday and just was talking about stuff or he was home with his wife or something it wouldn't be in treatment, you know? So they're able right. to just take the... It fits perfectly in with the show. Mm-hmm. Just one more treatment.
9: Um, Gina, I I, uh, I called you last night because um, I really felt that I needed to talk to somebody. It's... Um, actually, it's something that's been bothering me a lot lately, but only yesterday I really felt the need that I had to to talk about it. I I feel that, I don't know how to put this, but I feel like I'm I'm just losing my patience. I'm losing my patience with my patience. There are sessions when I can barely restrain myself from having just, from an outburst. I want to just lock the door some days and wish everybody would just go away. I have this, I have this couple who have been coming to me for marriage counselling. They have one child. They uh, have been trying for five years to have another baby. So she gets pregnant, and now she wants to have an abortion. I, I, I think what she really wants is to get rid of the husband, if you ask me. But anyway, this this guy really got on my nerves yesterday. He cornered me. He. He badgered me until I made a decision. Should we have an abortion? Should we not have an abortion? I finally said, yes, good, have an abortion. As soon as I said it, of course, I regretted it because I knew that I'd spoken in anger, but I, I, I couldn't help it. But this guy, he just... He said some really nasty things to me. He... He called me... a murderer. I knew he was right the second it came out of my mouth. Of course he was right. I was sitting there telling him to kill his baby. But still, I was... I know I'm not making much sense, but... Anyway. And there's this girl who I've been working with for a year. There's an issue of erotic transference, and this came out now... Everything is all about this issue. And I'm thinking to myself, what, you know, if patients could see what I think about them, if they could really see inside my head, they'd head for the hills, believe me. They'd run for cover.
2: You know what, you know what really uh, I didn't like about this show was the the uh, intro um, sequence. <laughs> oh, it was so late. It felt like an afternoon, spe- uh, like an after-school special, or like an actual like thing that you would uh, show to a classroom in school. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's true. Did you know what that was? No. Describe it for the listeners, can you? I don't know.
2: Wasn't it just it- black screen with like a blue, like a swishy, like, thing, swishy but- thing going across it, and mm-hmm. really cheesy music?
3: I-, I got the feeling it was like some kind of an electrical. It looked like some sort of electrical thing. It was like an afterthought.
2: <laughs> it didn't fit the tone of the the show.
0: No, it um, it reminded me of something that it actually turns out to be that thing. There's there's a you, you might see it on desks sometimes, like in offices. It's like a rectangular clear thing with blue liquid in it. That when you tip oh. it, the liquid sloshes to one end of the of the device and it tilts one way. But then the liquid kind of pools back the other way and it seesaws back the other way and it just sort of goes it back went? and forth and the liquid sloshes around in it mm. I kind of like yeah go ahead like
3: that
0: oh huh. so in the uh in the episode with sophie that, i mean that's what it reminded me of when i saw it i was like is that like the thing that people have on their desks sometimes um but yeah in the sec the episode with sophie she gets up and starts walking around his office and is pointing out certain things like, "Oh, you like ships or look at I feel sorry for the books that you have way on the top shelf, uh, and she sees that the the blue thing in his office, and that's exactly what those titles must have come from it's mm-hmm. It's like a prop that he has in his office, mm-hmm. and it got me thinking about when therapists decorate their offices, what kinds of things do they put in there, and for what purpose like it's almost like you know you're staging a set. For the people coming to you, you can't make it anything too, like, triggering, right? It's got to be pretty mundane, but kind of comforting and kind of maybe things that people can look at and fixate on or pick up or play with or stimulate. So I think that's where they got the the titles from. Mm. Sorry, you hated it, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I don't know what those things are called me neither.
3: Yeah,
0: I don't know either. When I hear a major spoiler for the end of season 1, okay, sure. he he dies. Put your if if you don't want to know that major know. spoiler for the next uh put your headphones take them out for the next uh minute. Um Blair Underwood who plays Alex the fighter pilot, um his character commits suicide at the end of the season. Oh, okay.
3: So,
0: and then um season 2, Paul has to kind of wrestle with did I fail this guy? Hmm. So that's a thing that that hangs over the second season.
3: Alex is wound pretty tight.
0: Yep. Let me tell you about Sophie, played by Mia Wasikowska. I don't know if that's how you say her name. Wasikowska. You've seen her in stuff. Yep. She's been in one of those Alice in Wonderland movies. She was in Crimson Peak, Stoker, Albert Knobs, Jane Eyre. The kids are all right. Yeah. She's a she's a working actress. Um. She plays this. Uh, First of all, both she and Melissa George are Australian, playing Americans. And she's this young gymnast who rode her – she was on her bicycle and she was hit by a car. And she – I guess the insurance company doesn't want to pay for her medical bills or or what have you um, because they think it was intentional, that she intentionally got hit by the car. And she comes to Paul because he has to sign off on a document that says – uh, that she wasn't suicidal, and she said, and he's so she's very, she's very combative as well, just like uh Alex. She's she doesn't believe this whole like therapy thing. She's just like, just sign it, say that I'm in my right, right mind, I'm not crazy, so that I can go back because I'm you know I'm a I'm an Olympic hopeful and I don't really have time for this. But you know he wants to understand exactly what happened. Did she try to commit suicide by riding her bicycle into a moving car, and why would she do that?
7: After my accident, I told you on the phone about the accident? Yes. They told me that I needed the opinion of a psychiatrist because the insurance company of the car that hit me has a problem with my injuries or something like that. So that's why I'm here. I'm here for your professional opinion, not for...
9: Not for... Not for therapy. So let's see if I'm uh, if I'm getting this right. Are you... Suing the insurance company of the person who hit you?
7: No. Their insurance company had me talk to a social worker. And she started asking me all sorts of annoying questions. She was really annoying. So I refused to talk to her. She started talking to me like she knew me or something. So I refused to talk. And that didn't go over so well. So my mother said it would be better if I came here to talk to you. Okay.
9: So what happened to the accident that requires a... A psychiatric opinion.
7: I really don't remember what happened. I was on my bicycle, and a car ran into me, and I don't remember what happened next.
9: What did they tell
2: you afterwards?
7: That I flew my bike right into the street.
2: Hmm. <laughs> did the um, did the series end like because of ratings, or are they just were they just done? Mm, I don't know. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> man I think maybe search everything
0: i I think it was uh well, the quote I saw it said something like it wasn't as big of a hit as we hoped it would be, but it won Emmys. I don't know, I know Gabriel Byrne didn't want like maybe it originally was filmed in New York, but he wanted to move it to Los Angeles. I don't know if that had anything to do with it being cancelled, maybe they just felt like they had they had done enough they took they they shortened the season for seasons two and three by two weeks they Took the number of episodes down. I guess they just felt like it was that they had exhausted the premise.
3: I guess. Mm. I mean, it's got to be an incredibly cheap show to run to make. So I mean, the whole, yeah, you know, I don't know. It seems like it's something they could have run for a really long time. They must have had really bad ratings for it to to give up on it on the basis of moving to Los Angeles or something. Well,
0: I mean, it could be that he wanted more money or to keep doing yeah. it and
3: or or maybe he just didn't want to do it anymore.
0: Yeah. It doesn't seem like it would be it's a it's a very taxing role. You're basically just listening.
3: <laughs> yeah. For
0: a lot yeah. of it. Um I think that they should have led with Sophie. I think that kids with problems like suicide, it's it's more of an arresting premise than Laura's erotic fixations and <laughs> relationship problems.
3: I think HBO overestimates
1: eroticism
3: as a as something to pull people in.
1: Or what they consider erotic is not erotic at all.
3: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, like, that one, I was telling my son about that one. uh, Tell me you love me. Yeah. yeah, The porn porn one. (laughs) And, you know, I was telling my son about it, and it was just like, you know, they needed a really good, like, they needed a porn director for that thing. (laughs) Somebody who could actually make the scenes at least sexy or interesting or something and not make sex boring um you know it's like okay let's take something that very few people find boring and make it boring so anyhow yeah i i'm not sure if hbo's idea of what's erotic really is well
0: i don't know if they wanted laura to be i mean her first the first shot is she's crying She's wearing, like, a cocktail dress or something. It's like, um... My friend dressed me this way. (laughs) Yeah, it's not even... My friend dressed me, uh, I went out to the club, and did she say, like, she passed out in front of his office and she was cold and she thought about walking up and knocking on the door to get a sweater but then decided just to wait till her appointment? That's why she was still dressed like that from the night before?
1: To me, it sounds just like she was basically debating should I tell him that I love him today or not? How good do I want to look when I'm doing it? I'm so nervous about this. Oh my God, I'm going to puke. <laughs> she
3: said she yeah. sat in the
1: park, I think. Yeah. Okay. It sounds
3: to me park like she was debating
1: there. whether or not she should tell him that she loves him. Yeah.
3: yeah. Yeah. I mean, she was, she was saying that, you know, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be, I shouldn't say anything, all that stuff. And, yeah. and, you know, in the end you find out that, it, that all that debate that she was going on about was really about, you know, telling him, Not really about what happened during the... You know, what she did last night. It was him. Which, yeah, I agree. Not the best one to start with. Yeah.
0: Um, Who wants to read Harold's feedback? Why am I masking? I'm going to just make someone... uh, We'll make Matt read it.
2: (laughs) Is it in here already?
0: Yeah, put it in the Skype. Okay. Let's see it.
2: The I am slightly? Yes. I am slightly familiar with in-treatment. I recall watching a few episodes when it initially aired, but back then I did not have a DVR, and I didn't keep up with it. I don't even know what a DVR is, barely. (laughs) I haven't had cable since 2003. It's just a
0: VCR that records things for you on a hard drive, when you set it to schedule what you want to record. Like every every new
2: episode of Scandal, please. Yeah, every time I go to my parents' house, I feel like terrible because they know more about that technology than me. Like, they're bringing up their menu and looking at things, I'm like all confused.
0: <laughs> do you not watch TV at all, or what do you do?
1: We just watch Netflix,
2: basically. We just have Netflix and DVDs and video games. That's
1: what
0: I, That's
2: pretty you much do. me, too. I don't yeah. have a DVR, either, but at least I know what one is. <laughs> I don't. I, 2003, that's when I got out of TV. Um, Harold uh, continues, I watched the three episodes that Matt recommended, and I thought all three were very strong. I could be very, it could be very tedious to just watch patients discuss their problems with a the therapist, but these episodes and the other two, from what I can deduce from the previously on, are as much about Paul and his midlife crisis as it is about his patients. There is another unhappy couple, the, the airman whose good intentions led to tragedy. Uh, how did, he had good intentions when he bombed a school? I didn't watch the episode. <laughs>
3: Remind me after you finish.
2: Oh, he's like, oh,
0: they don't. They want to be at recess. I'm gonna get rid of their school for <laughs> oh, God. The intelligence.
3: The intelligence said that it was a terrorist thing, oh, not that it was uh-huh.
1: a magic. All right. Look, well, kids. I yeah. just wanted you to not be. I have to go to school for the next <laughs> few weeks. <laughs> I didn't realize you were actually in there.
0: <laughs> Oops, my bad.
1: Whoops, I thought it was a Sunday, not a Monday. <laughs>
2: uh. Uh, Damn daylight there time. Isn't there a song about blowing up your school? Uh, yeah, probably. Um, There's the, wait, clearly a metaphor for a therapist who unintentionally prods a patient into doing something terrible. Then there is the patient who is the same age as his daughter and finally Laura, whose complete adoration tempts Paul to blow up his marriage and career. Paul's midlife crisis is itself a metaphor about facing death and it can't be a coincidence that death constantly came up. Laura nearly froze to death. The airman bombed a school and gave himself a heart attack. The couple considers an abortion. Gina's husband passed away, and the teen- teenager has tried to kill herself twice. I was impressed by how well the show was able to do three well-written two-handers, none of which had any wasted dialogue with each line of dialogue or acting choice, revealing something about a character's conscious or unconscious desires. My favorite episode was the one with Gina because we had two therapists who share long histories and resentments and who are using all the tools in their therapy toolboxes against one another. It also raised questions about how a good th- how good how good a therapist Paul actually is since he's not self-aware enough to recognize that he, he is trying to avoid his own personal issues and ethical problems. This was a very intriguing series and I may go back and watch more. Hmm. I'm glad you liked it, Harold.
3: Yes. Thank you, Harold. Just to be clear, um, it was one of those, the pilot was one of those uh, episodes where the uh, target was supposed to be a group of terrorists. And he went in and did his job, but the intelligence was wrong, and it turned out to be a school. And so he, you know, he had no idea that's what, you know, it was an accident.
0: Hmm. hmm. Should have covered that up, military. <laughs> yeah.
3: I'm sure they tried.
0: Or at least didn't tell him that it was that he was the one that did it. I don't know if they could conceal he that sa- or not.
3: Sa- he saw it on c- CNN. Um, he saw the, the bodies of the kids coming out on CNN um, afterwards. And then I've forgotten how his name got leaked somehow or another, and uh, the... ISIS or whoever it was at that time got his name and was it were able to find a high school yearbook photo of him from years before and circulated that with uh, a price on his head to kill him.
9: And you know, I know I'm a good therapist, I and mean, I don't know. Maybe this week I need somebody to just tell me to calm down, tell me that everything's okay, that everything's all all right. I remember you said once that one of our biggest problems was that we don't have an audience. We don't have anybody to pat us on the back to, to approve of what we're doing. Somebody that you can go to and say, did you see how I maneuvered that person into that situation? Did you see how I got him to say what I wanted him to?
8: What I meant was, is that we have no one to criticize us, no one to review us.
0: Okay. Well, I feel like we talked about this one enough. (laughs) Yep. Sure. Um, who wants to give it a rating? Uh,
2: I'll give it. Uh, well, okay. I thought it was just okay. It wasn't bad. It wasn't good. I liked the first episode more than the thera- like him talking to his own therapist, just because of the weird roller coaster of emotions and dynamics that kept going up and down and all around and didn't seem to make much sense. Uh, I'll give it six out of ten. Vomit breaks.
3: <laughs> okay, I'll go too. Um, like you said, it's. It's wasn't fabulous. It wasn't terrible. You know, once I found out that, oh, okay, we're going to continue on with these people, that made it more interesting. Um, I'll also go with um, six out of ten cocktail dresses in the morning.
1: Mm. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I feel the same as everybody else, pretty much. Uh, I'm probably going to rate it lower, though. <laughs> Five out of ten. Yeah. Uh, uh, therapists in denial.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, I liked
0: it more than you guys. Uh, I think the best episode was the one that you guys didn't see, which is the one with Sophie, because I like that actress, and I liked I like that character who challenges Paul because she feels like adults speak for her, like
4: th-
0: she doesn't have a voice. She she describes this incident of when she was hit by a hit, hit by the car, and she's on the ground, and she's hearing this woman going, she, she tried to kill herself, she tried to kill herself, and she wanted to tell this woman just to shut up, but she she couldn't speak, mm-hmm. and she she felt like the social worker that talked to her was speaking for her, that the person who wrote, who, that was the person who wrote this initial report about her, uh, and she just assumes that Paul has his mi- mind made up about certain things, and he's kind of approaching it as, um, no, I want you just to talk to me. It, it, was, it was really... Um, like I really enjoyed her personality and um, the way she explored her office or his office and about saw the books on the on the top shelf and thought they looked lonely up there and it's like if oh, that should have been the first episode because I think it was just better. Um, I don't really like Laura very much. Um, she seems like an okay person, but her problems are a little pedestrian. Mm-hmm. Uh, the relationship with Gina, uh, yeah, it does seesaw between like angry, shouting, and laughing. And, I mean, they have, like, this really long personal history, and it just seems like we got, a like, a super condensed version of it in, like, 20 minutes. And there's a lot to unpack there, but we didn't get a chance to do that this episode. But what I like about this show is that every every episode kind of leaves just enough that you might want to come back and see what thing that was revealed, like, how it pays off next week. It's got a cool structure in that way. Um, but so overall, I'm going to give it a seven and a half out of ten uh, blue sloshy thingies. I don't really know what they're called. <laughs> From the intro? From the intro. <laughs>
2: so you rated it the, the highest, huh? I
0: rated it the highest, yes.
2: So generous.
0: Well, not that generous. Seven and a half, that's pretty... <laughs> it's not great. I went and I got myself a can of Sam '76. Oh, which is the new beer by Boston Brewery. Nice. I'm gonna, I'm nice. gonna,
2: go, says, I'm gonna go refill my whiskey.
0: All right. Give me a glass. It says of the on the can, "Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness, 1776. Perfect union of lager and ale, giving you a craft beer with the flavor of an ale and the crisp refreshment and the refreshment of a crisp finish of a lager. The result is revolutionary." Oh. Very patriotic, independent American craft.
1: Will you throw your beer in the water and protest? (laughs) No, it's American beer. Oh,
0: sorry.
3: (laughs) There's a whole, I read a whole story about how coffee, I don't know, did I tell you this? How coffee became uh, the American drink, specifically because of the whole tax, uh, the whole tea tax thing and all of that, that if you were a patriot, you drank coffee instead of tea, and uh and it took hold, and it became like the thing to, you know, show your patriotism by drinking coffee instead of tea.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Tea's very English, so if you want to distance yourself from that, okay. drink coffee. Mm. Yep. I'd rather, I me, I'd rather have a hot cocoa.
3: Cocoa is good. <laughs> I like cocoa. I like tea too, but anyhow.
0: better be American whiskey. Forty Creek <laughs> is that American? Forty Creek, I think it is.
1: No, I'm drinking wine. I'm totally European, guys. I am on the British side. <laughs> nope, it's from Ontario, Canada.
3: I'm sorry. <laughs> I was gonna say, what? Where is it from, though? It's from Ontario. You loyalists, you. <laughs>
1: actually, actually, the town that the city that we live in is actually famously a loyalist city. It housed a bunch of loyalists back in the yep, day. Yeah. Yep. St. John, that's New Brunswick. Benedict Arnold. Arnold was actually here, like, holed up here for a while. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Benedict Arnold lived here lived here for, like, seven or eight years after he betrayed you guys. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yeah.
3: that's where they all went. Well, not all of them. Some of them went back to England.
0: Are you uh, you two Canadians familiar at all with American history? Like, this period? A little
3: bit,
1: yeah.
0: A, li- sure. a little bit, yeah.
1: I mean you guys just, just like tell us all the time like yeah, it's hard.
0: you saw Mel Gibson's The Patriot. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's kind of hard to avoid American history, really. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but can you recap it in 60 seconds?
1: Okay. <laughs> I don't know about that. Am I am I like uh, excluded from this? Since yes,
0: know. you are. Uh, if it if it ends up on you, it'll go to the next person. But it's going know. to be Matt, no, not so this I'm... Matt, but that Matt,
1: no, <laughs> you can do it.
0: So you've got sixty seconds to tell us as much as possible what happened in the first installment of the John Adams mini series, which is titled uh, Join or Die. If you go over, you are a loser. No. If you uh, go ridiculously under, you're a uh, I guess you're a Tory chump <laughs> and we'll tar and feather you. No, <laughs> oh god,
4: that's awful.
0: It was it was very really upsetting, um, but we'll get to that. Um, you may or may not include that in your plot summary. I don't know. We'll find out. But you'll
2: be going on the count of three. You ready? Okay. One, two, three. Uh, there's this guy named John Adams, and he's a lawyer. And there's a whole bunch of white wigs, and I don't know why. And uh, there's like British soldiers who like killed a, a mob of people. But he defends them because he's for truth and justice and evidence. And I like him. And uh, they're found not guilty. And then for his impartialness, uh, they, uh, the American rebels uh, want him to be like in the higher up part of their organization. I don't know in what, what capacity. Uh, but he doesn't want to do it. And then the British become real jerks. Um, and then the Americans are real jerks. And then uh, he's all conflicted (laughs) about where to go, but his wife keeps giving him good advice. I like his wife. Uh, And in the end, he joins the American Rebels or whatever. Uh, Yeah. And then he heads off and leaves his pregnant wife at home. Bad John Adams. (laughs) The end. (laughs) (laughs) One minute exactly.
4: You
10: avoided
4: (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, I'm so happy. I was, I was really nervous there, because it seemed like you had <laughs> you done the first uh, first 35 minutes in, like, five seconds, and I was like, oh, oh no, Mel got the tar. <laughs> <Yeah.
3: laughs> I should
1: be the one that gets tarred and feathered. Aw.
3: Well, he included, God, I was the, just <laughs> he, he included the tar and feathering in, and then the Americans were jerks, too, so.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> it's true. Ugh.
0: So uh I always oh, forgot to look up how many parts this episode or this series was. I think it's ten or is it eight? <laughs> I'm wrong. It's seven. <laughs> um Paul Giamatti's John Adams, Laura Linney's Abigail Adams, Stephen Delane, who is probably best known now as Stannis Baratheon from Game of Thrones. He plays Thomas Jefferson. I uh, got Justin Thoreau in there as John Han- Hancock. Um Later on, Tom Wilkinson is Benjamin Franklin, um, and it's, there's seven parts, and they age up John Adams, so at some point, he is like uh, an old man. His kids yeah. grow up. So at some point, they go to France. Nice. <laughs> uh-huh.
2: yes. I must ask something about Justin Theroux right off the bat. Was he dubbed? Because that did not uh-huh. sound like his voice. <laughs> hmm. Not to my knowledge. Hmm. Well, go back and listen. It doesn't sound like him. <laughs>
0: Okay, I will. It um I don't know, it just didn't it didn't seem like him. Yeah. I guess it was the wig. Yeah. I don't know the wig. I tried to figure out or find out the point of the wig? The wigs?
2: What's well, so the other than like, it's probably because people had terrible uh hygiene.
1: This was the highlight of the show for me. What? The wigs. <laughs> I love it. I don't understand it, but and I don't understand like why he's like walking around bald at home and then like it's almost like it's a hat yeah <laughs> i know it's so they were they it's so were like but it's it. so interesting i don't know it's so
3: it, it was a style and yeah. the, the whole the whole judicial thing that was that was brought from england
1: mm. all brought yeah. from england yeah
3: um the yeah i, I noticed I that sh- no go on what we're you gonna say mel
1: no, I noticed that much that the wigs are very, were very like the the lawyer wigs were really English, but the barrister wigs, yeah,
0: which I don't think they are required to wear except in criminal cases now in uh, the UK, mm-hmm. and uh, they're continually kind of debating the merits of of whether or not they're necessary. But some of the old school people are like, well, it it creates a, an appearance of uh, authority. kind of of like a necktie it's just useless but it's useless but it projects a kind of some sort of subconscious like oh that person's in charge i better listen to that person yeah it's uh it's weird (laughs) guys it it just it doesn't look good especially the uh the british officer has this like like all this dark stubble on his face yes and then he has this bright white wig it's like
1: Looks so weird! He's the also contrast. contrast! He's also obviously Scottish, so I wasn't sure if Scotland was a part of England at that time. I don't know. Like, Yes. Was it? Yes, it was? Okay. I just wasn't sure, like, where everything was situated at that time.
3: Yeah, um, Scotland became a real definite part of um, Britain. England and Scotland became tied together when uh, James...
1: So whoever... Before.
3: Mary Queen of Scots son James so way II, I think. yeah
1: huh? okay. so way before okay. that time like
3: yeah yeah it would have been in okay. the 1600s
1: yeah okay i
2: also uh, have, i also have a history question um, black people were they were they better or worse <laughs> off <laughs> black people were they better or worse off under british rule because we just watched uh, to kill a mockingbird like earlier this week and like the black people were like you know Segregated to the point where they had to stay in different parts uh, of the, uh, the courtroom. The, the courtroom, and uh, in this, there's just black people walking around in regular clothes. You know, they're part. They're part. But of, there was
1: also black people chained up. At yeah, the end.
2: there was also slaves chained up. But there was black yeah. people like that were allowed to mingle in with the white people. Like they were also yelling at the British soldiers, and they're just actually like regular people. Like, did it's it confusing. get after the British left? Did it get worse for black people, or was it about the oh, same? Yeah.
3: Well, you just—you've got a huge cultural thing that you're unpacking right there. <laughs>
2: yeah. um,
3: first of all, To Kill a Mockingbird takes place about two 150 years later. Oh, yeah, we realize that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <And, laughs>
2: yeah, we we know it takes place after. That's what I mean. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Did it get and, worse k- after the British left?
3: And and let me finish. <laughs> and it's in the South. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, that's well. That's what I was telling. 200 you. Two hundred
3: years later. So there's there's a big difference. We're talking about Boston in the 1700s. There was slavery. Slavery was legal throughout the United States, well, the, the colonies at that point. Uh, so there were slaves in the New England states and in the Middle States, um, much later than people like to think,
4: were there also though I
3: believe, I believe were there- Massachusetts I believe Massachusetts outlawed, outlawed it in 1780. Oh, so okay. they outlawed it pretty early. Um, there, there were free black people throughout the colonies in the south and in the north um, throughout history. Not everybody was was enslaved, and I'm pretty sure there were more free black free men, free blacks in New England than there were in the south. That's um, good.
2: I just yeah. wasn't. I wasn't and, sure if it got more like liberal, basically, later on, or if it was always like that.
0: Yeah, it's geographical.
3: It's yeah. very geographic. It's very much a a matter of the time and the and that particular area. Um, were there black sections <laughs> in different parts of New England or Middle Colonies? Yes. Um,
0: was it possible for a a black person who was a slave to to buy his or her way into freedom?
3: In some places, yes. Some
0: places, definitely. yes. Some places, not.
3: Right. It, so I it think was,
0: there were statuses. It was
3: possible for them to buy their freedom, I think, everywhere, but it depended on whether you were allowed by the person who owned you to earn money or whether everything you earned was was theirs.
4: Mm-hmm. You know
3: what I'm saying? Because I mean, it's they would rent pe- rent their slaves out and stuff like that, and take whatever money. But some, but there are lots and lots of stories of um, slaves uh, getting money together in order to buy themselves freedom, and then working to try and get enough money to buy like their families and stuff like that.
0: So John Adams was an opponent to. To uh, slavery, but he was also uh, very apolitical on the on the topic of of it. He was like he didn't like um, abolitionists either. He thought they were divisive. So he was one of those real middle of the road kind of guys.
2: Well, I can see I
0: wouldn't own a slave, but I'm not going to tell somebody else not to. (laughs) Um,
3: that's not quite true. That's not quite true.
2: Well, everybody seemed to be terrible.
3: No, he he definitely was against slavery. He he not only would not own a slave, he also would not um he, he wouldn't indirectly profit off slavery. Uh his wife was definitely um an abolitionist. He was he he put Adams in-
0: Adams, despite being opposed to slavery, did not support abolitionism except if it was done in a gradual way. With much caution and circumspection, Adams dismisses radical abolitionist measures as producing greater violations of justice and humanity than the continuance of the practice of slavery itself. Adams also wrongly asserts that the practice of slavery is fast diminishing. Rather than declining, slavery was growing in America. The 1790 census counted almost 700,000 slaves. According to the census of 1800, the year before Adams wrote this letter, the number had grown to 900,000. In his closing, Adams writes that he does wish you success in your benevolent endeavors to relieve the distresses of our fellow creatures and shall always be ready to cooperate with you as far as any means and opportunities can be reasonably expected to extend. It sounds pretty much like he said, I am not, I don't believe in slavery, Wait, but, but hey, I think it's that? going away, so let's just not like rock the boat, okay? When was
3: that written? That was written in 1800?
0: Mm, that was 1801.
3: Okay, all right. That was that, a
0: response to a pamphlet sent by abolitionist Warren Mif- Mifflin to John Adams.
3: Yeah, 18, that's one of the things you have to look at, is the difference between Adams as an old man, because by then he was, I was looking up, he was born in like the 1840s. He was somewhere in his 60s, late 60s at that point. He lived to be 90. Whoa. Almost 91. Whoa. He was just short of 91 when he died. And, uh, he became much, I mean, he was always kind of circumspect and trying to, um, but when he was president and when he was an old man, he got even more, um,
0: cautious and conservative, cautious
3: and conservative. Yeah.
0: As a lot of old men do.
3: (laughs) Right. He, my understanding is that when he wrote the, um, when he wrote the Constitution of Massachusetts, or helped write the Constitution of Massachusetts, although he had not voted for the abolition of slavery in Massachusetts during the Revolutionary War because he needed to make sure the southern states stayed with the program, and a lot of you know that was about keeping the southern states fighting the revolution and being on the side of independence, I had read something that he helped write the Constitution of Massachusetts in like 1780, and at that point, put in wording that basically ended slavery in Massachusetts.
0: I believe his son, uh, John Quincy Adams, who was the sixth president of the United States, was uh, more of an abolitionist than than, uh, his father was, um,
3: and his wife was Abigail Adams was extremely vocal about. Abolition, and she was also extremely vocal about women's rights. She was an amazing woman.
0: But Um, it certainly seems like the politics of the time was that even if you felt very deeply in your heart that slavery was wrong, you're trying to found a country. You have, Mm -hmm. like, the thing they compromised over was this issue. It was, it was like one of the issues. So Thomas Jefferson was a slave owner. So, in order to get everyone kind of like on the same boat to, like, let's just have a country here. we'll compromise over the slavery thing. You can keep your slaves and I'll just sort of keep my mouth shut. Yeah.
3: um, There was, I mean, it was a huge issue when they were writing the declaration of independence. It came up, it came up in the continental Congress. It came up uh, in every, every meeting that there was of every kind slavery came up. And uh, I mean, Jefferson was for putting it in the declaration of independence. He had a line about, um, about slavery being one of the egregious things that the um, the British had brought to America, and um, it was other other members of the Southern delegations that uh, got that stricken from the Declaration of Independence.
0: Um, this is taken from BlackPast.org. Uh, when Thomas Jefferson included a passage attacking slavery in his draft of the Declaration of Independence. It initiated the most intense debate among the delegates gathered at Philadelphia in the spring and early summer of 1776. Jefferson's passage on slavery was the most important section removed from the final document. It was replaced with a more ambiguous passage about King George's incitement of domestic insurrections among us. Decades later, Jefferson blamed the removal of the passage on delegates from South Carolina and Georgia and northern delegates who represented merchants who were at the time actively involved in the transatlantic slave trade. His original passage appears below. And I will read it to you. He has waged cruel war against human nature itself, violating its most sacred rights of life and liberty in the persons of a distant people who never offended him, captivating and carrying them into slavery in another hemisphere, or to incur miserable death in their transportation thither. Mm -hmm. This piratical warfare, the approprium approprium of infidel powers, is the warfare of the Christian King of Great Britain, determined to keep open a market where men should be bought and sold. He has prostituted his negative for suppressing every legislative attempt to prohibit or restrain this execrable commerce, and that this assemblage of horrors might want no fact to distinguish die. He is now exciting those very people to rise in arms among us and to purchase that liberty of which he has deprived them by murdering the people on whom he has obtruded them, thus paying off former crimes committed against the liberties of one people with crimes which he urges them to commit against the lives of another. I think he kind of lost the thread there, but I know what he's trying to say. <laughs> he just needs an editor. i clean that language up a little bit. Nah. You can't, yeah.
2: Don't use words like thither. <laughs> <laughs> thither. <laughs> it's
3: 1776.
2: Um, you know, another another thing after watching To Kill a Mockingbird that I realized is uh, John Adams in this episode got very lucky with honest witnesses.
1: <laughs> mm. <laughs>
2: He's like nobody mm. lied, nobody lied. <laughs>
1: those witnesses are maybe not so lucky though <laughs> well, oh one yeah guy the, the
2: lied. Guy. did he
1: the guy at the beginning lied,
0: yes, what he said he was entertaining though
1: <laughs> which guy was that? the first
3: guy that testified the one that said that he was staying behind, oh, the... the guy that
1: was like kind of getting like uh uh like other guys to kind of cheer him on or whatever, right it was like, yeah, 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 blah
10: rebel
1: yeah. But um, I, I yeah. felt I felt really bad for that guy where everybody was just breathing down his <laughs> like neck. literally it was breathing down his neck. <laughs> like, like it,
2: just closing in on him. And he was like he was like, like
1: he was like God help me. That's what they said. Like God help me was literally like God help me. People are gonna mm-hmm. me up. It was I'm terrible. Surprised we didn't see that it, the it lynching. Scene after that. An incredible
0: amount of bravery that that guy had to yeah. tell the truth. Yep. Since yep. he was, I mean, this courtroom. Uh standing room only. <laughs> like literally, there were no chairs. Um yeah. if you're in the gallery there. Yeah. Um I guess that's why now we have witness boxes to so at least at least people won't be standing around them when they're talking. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. I thought that was interesting and strange.
0: Uh obviously no women there except Abigail does get to show up during his um final presentation. <laughs> what mm-hmm. is it? Yep. Summary his closing statement. Closing statement. Yep. I'm not sure that's right either. What did they call it? <laughs> it's got. A, I'm sure it's got a legal word.
2: I think it's closing arguments. I, don't I know.
3: think it's closing uh, argument. Yeah.
0: Closing argument. Yeah, that sounds right.
3: Yeah. But uh, I I like the. I mean, they gave you a real good idea of how much of a partnership it was between Abigail and John.
1: I, they're so adorable. Oh, I love them. They're so cute. I love it.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> their their relationship was yeah. was so strong mm. for like their whole lives. Um mm. I mean everybody has their bad spots, but uh the letters between them are just incredible. Um Oh
0: yeah, let me um find that little tidbit, but um well, I I won't read it for verbatim, but some of their dialogue actually comes from the letters that he wrote to her. Also she, she to him.
1: also I love I loved whenever he yelled at his kids. I thought, mm-hmm. oh. <laughs> <laughs> what was the thing that he said? Uh, what was it, Matt? Oh, no, I don't know. It was like I didn't write it down. It was like it was like uh, oh, I can't remember, but it was so great. It's just like he's oh,
2: like yourself, sir.
1: <laughs>
2: and the and the kid is like what five years old or something? Or six years old, sir. sir. <laughs> <laughs> I love this.
11: <laughs> The jury are all but certain to judge this issue before they hear a word of evidence. Does the government of King George have the right to tax the citizens of Boston when they are denied representation in the Parliament of Westminster? Charles, stay away from the fire! But this is not a trial about taxes levied on Massachusetts.
8: You would do well to acknowledge it. No, it is a trial
11: about whether or not Captain Preston ordered his men to fire on that crowd. And if that crowd was a lawful assembly or a mob. Remove yourself, sir! Nabby.
3: Charles,
8: please. The the resentment of Boston towards the Crown is irrelevant. Do not ignore it. Mm. It must be said. Acknowledge it. As a fact, do not comment. Do not sit in judgment of the jury's prejudice. Suggest that they must rise above it, as you have done you have a higher opinion of juries than i you must persuade even more and mask your impatience with those less intelligent than yourself good (laughs) is my demeanor in the court on trial now i would not dream telling you how to conduct yourself in court would you not
3: hey he's a future president of the united states
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah oh my god oh so good <laughs> the one they called john was john quincy adams yeah exactly yeah uh, how many kids did he have
0: three three boys I'm talking, just they, the boys she
3: had <laughs> she had six pregnancies the last one was, was stillborn stillborn and one died like very like within a few days or a couple of years i don't remember but young
0: at least two of his sons were alcoholics. That's what I'm trying to remember. Which two?
3: Thomas and Charles. Oh, Charles. I was going to say Christopher. That's not right. Charles. Yeah. Thomas and Charles. And and the other was a girl.
0: And the other was a girl.
3: <laughs> oh, and she 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 died of breast cancer. I think. Um. Yeah. What yeah. Happened?
0: The so the mom is Abigail. The daughter is Abigail. And then when John Quincy gets married, I believe he marries an Abigail. Oh wow. So they like that name. Yeah. And didn't
1: he say No, he married
0: yeah, no he married Louisa Johnson. I'm sorry. <laughs> I guess I was wrong.
1: And he said too during the episode that they want he wanted her to name the new kid if it was a girl Elizabeth. Did it end up being a girl?
3: Um no or- I think the next one was No I guess it was Elizabeth and she was oh. stillborn.
1: She was stillborn. Mm-hmm. Oh that's yeah sad.
0: Louisa Adams was the wife of John Quincy Adams. The daughter of American consul in London, she was the first lady she was the first first lady to be born outside of the United States. Oh. A distinction that would not be replicated until hundred and ninety-two years later by Melania Trump. Oh. Hm. Yep. Yep.
3: Enough said about that.
0: Yes, yeah, enough said about that. Um I had a lot of flashbacks to Assassin's Creed three. Um <laughs> running around through the snowy landscape of uh, New England.
2: Never played that one.
0: That was the first one that had uh Wolfpack mode multiplayer, which <laughs> which was great. I loved it. Two thumbs up to Assassin's Creed multiplayer.
2: Um, <laughs> um they ha- I, I was really on John Adams' side for a lot of this until uh in his um in his defense of the British uh soldiers he said that they feared for their lives and that just, like, made me, like, flash to, like, the excuses for cop killings of today. And I was like, ugh. <laughs> yeah, I had a... Scared. I feared for my life, so I shot him dead.
3: Yeah, except <laughs> yeah. that there were 200 people in front of them with clubs
2: yeah. and... Yeah, they, they legitimately them. feared
0: for and, and And as
2: he and was
3: they, saying, you
0: know, their, his, their responsibility was to defend their post, so... Yeah.
3: Right, and they weren't the ones that... I mean, they didn't fire on purpose,
0: Right, um, they were coaxed they, into doing it, and
3: the the commander never yelled fire. I mean, the the kid got hit in the head with something. He fell. His rifle went off, and then some people behind them started yelling fire. Yeah, so
2: it was a, it was a setup.
3: Yeah.
0: Now the prosecution or the prosecutor says a person cannot justify killing if he can by any means make his escape. He that commits a cruel act voluntarily is guilty of malice or forethought. And malice was very much on these prisoners' minds by the very act of loading their muskets with powder and ball. Now, it's interesting here, that, that line, no a person cannot justify killing if he can by any means make his escape. Mm-hmm. Um, that is uh, that's something that has gone out the window with stand-your-ground yeah. laws. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um
3: it certainly has.
0: <clears throat> cough, George Zimmerman cough. Oh. Um,
3: yeah, the... Um... I,
0: I still think if you can get away, like, walk away. Mm -hmm.
3: except these guys are soldiers
0: yes I mean that is a. oh and that was the other thing I was going to say are they legally like required or or not maybe legally but uh, through their own sort of code of conduct required to wear their uniforms in the courtroom because a an attorney today would say take that uniform off you need to be I want you to be seen to the to the jury to see you as a peer You know, they clean people up, they put them, they make them look a certain way because they're trying to present an image to the jury. So if he's concerned about them uh, having prejudice against English soldiers, maybe you put them in normal, formal clothes, you take them out of their uniforms. Yeah,
3: I doubt that they were even, would be even allowed to appear without their uniforms.
0: That's what I was wondering.
3: Yeah. I don't know, but I'm guessing not. Um, I don't know. Did they even have clothes other than their uniforms? I mean, people didn't have a lot of clothes back then.
0: Uh, I'm just saying that there should have been a shopping montage. <laughs> <laughs> they should have all had makeovers.
11: <laughs> Captain Preston, you wish to engage my services in your defense? They've all refused us, sir. Every man, shock of them. They say you're a man of integrity, Mr. Adams. Well, you may expect from me no art of address, no sophistry or prevarication in such a cause. Nothing more than fact, evidence and the law will justify, Captain Preston. But before I can even consider taking your case, I must hear your account of what happened. My men came to the aid of a sentry outside the Custom House. He was being abused by the crowd. They asked me to empty their shit buckets. I told them to back off, but they kept at it. Screaming at me. Throwing at things. Mr. Montgomery called for the guard. I led them to the square. We made formation facing the crowd. Bayonets fixed. Muskets loaded. Look, I gave no order to fire, sir. I swear, I was standing in front of the men. I was talking to a a big fella. He had a club and I think they call him palms. Yet some of your soldiers did fire, Captain Preston. As if this morning five are dead, men and boys. My man acted in self-defense, Mr. Adams. As God Almighty has our charge.
3: The other thing is, notice that the, like the kid who got hit in the head with the thing, I mean, his, he still had the big, you know, mark on his head. This happened within a few days after, um by the way, that was called the Boston Massacre. It was a huge, huge deal. Um They consider the people that were killed in the Boston Massacre to have been the first casualties of the Revolutionary War. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the people was a black man named Crispus Attucks.
2: We got a close-up and- of him, huh?
3: And he is considered the first um, African-American killed in the Revolutionary War.
2: Mm. Uh, I was sad that we didn't get to see the actual Boston Tea Party. We just heard about it. <laughs>
3: um, I don't think John Adams participated. And Mm-mm. therefore, since we're kind of seeing what John Adams is seeing.
2: Was that the beginning of it, though, when they tarred and feathered that guy? was that Did that event...
3: I night. think I think it happened no, it happened in the at night. Oh. It was um there's various oh, yeah. stories. There's oh, various yeah, stories about how it happened. Huh? 'Cause
2: they 'cause they pretended to be natives. Yeah, I forgot about that. Like that was that's just cowardly. <laughs> it's like
1: Ugh. Um, <laughs> that's kind It makes me think like Americans were just as shitty as the British were.
2: Yeah, you know? like we're gonna just dump all shitty. this tea because we don't like the taxation without representation. Well, but uh, well, technically they were British,
3: the- so. <laughs> yeah, they were British.
0: Uh, still at that time, they were British.
3: Yeah, they were I know. British. Yeah, I know. But still, and that's yeah. one of the things that got them annoyed was that they, you know, didn't. They were British, but they didn't have the same rights as British citizens living in yeah. England did. But. uh yeah, Sam Adams was probably there. We're pretty sure that Sam Adams was, was dumping tea that night. And there is some indication that the Masonic, um, the Masons are not allowed to discuss politics and stuff from what I can understand. But it is also understood that there was apparently a Masonic meeting that night and that it, it is thought that when they adjourned the meeting, um, people headed for the harbor
0: Hmm. there actually wasn't and i didn't realize this until like like basically last night i'll admit my ignorance uh there was a political party that was the anti-masonic party the first third party in the united states strongly opposed freemasonry as a single party issue then later aspired to become a major party by expanding its platform to take other positions on issues Hmm.
3: that doesn't surprise me particularly but considering that almost that a whole lot of the founding fathers were Masons, um, I don't think it had much of a chance. Washington was very famously a Mason and so were a whole bunch of others.
2: What do you do after you tar and feather a guy and you cart him off? Where do they go? Like where uh, go get a beer. <laughs> but, a they, but they still had that guy. Did they like just drop him on the ground and then walk away? Or did they like be like, oh this guy needs medical attention? I, the I hope they <laughs> took him to urgent care. <laughs>
3: Usually I think they would um, – the old saying used to be tar and feather and ride him out on a rail, meaning you know they'd, they'd that's, send him out of shit. town. Um, I don't know what why, they would have done to this. Why guy.
0: did he <laughs> run into the crowd? I
3: know. I always, Every time I see this, I think, why didn't you run onto the ship? I don't uh, know.
0: An angry yeah. crowd and you run into them? Like, Why not just – or at least say, guys, guys, fine. I was trying to do my job, but – Whatever. I mean, I got things to do, so...
3: The guy panicked. He should have... He did. He should have basically gotten right behind Hancock and said, you know, aren't you going to protect me from this crowd? And, you know, and made the whole crowd come up onto the ship, which Hancock... I mean, it's Hancock's ship. He's not going to want yeah. the crowd on on his ship. Uh-huh. And he, he would have had to have literally thrown the guy to the crowd instead of simply inciting, you know, um, inciting the mob.
2: So what's the what's the connection between John Hancock and the and the signature John Han- Hancock? Same guy. I know, but what? Why? Why did that? Come oh, out?
3: oh, oh, oh. Okay, John Hancock uh, was one of the delegates that went down to Philadelphia, the uh, Second Continental Congress. This one that they were going to was, I believe, the First Continental Congress, and then the Second Continental Congress happened later, and that um, was the Declaration of Independence one. Well, John Hancock was a delegate from Massachusetts who became the, um, I forgot, what's the title? The head of the Congress. He was the, the, um, the chairman or, or whatever it's called. I, I'll think of it at some point, but like the chairman, the guy who ran the Congress. So when they signed the Declaration of Independence, the story goes that, um, they gave it to Hancock to sign first. And he wrote this great big signature on the top, and when he was asked why, he said, I want um, King George to be able to read it without his glasses. Mm -hmm. And that signature that you see on the John Hancock insurance commercials um, is his signature on the Declaration of Independence. Mm. It's very large and prominent.
1: (laughs) It is. Obnoxious. Obnoxious. (laughs)
3: <laughs> if you see the bottom of the Declaration of Independence, well, it was—it's not that obnoxious if you think about it, because that signature was—all of the signatures on the Declaration were their ticket to hanging. Mm-hmm. They had just declared treason themselves in a treasonous situation, and all it took for the British to hang them was that piece of paper. So hmm.
11: okay, have much of a case, John. Why not? No Boston jury will ever vote for acquittal. Uh, thank you for your kind advice, Sam. This is not a time for showing how clever you are, cousin. This is a time for choosing sides. I am for the law, cousin. Is there another side? There are those who fight for our rights as natural born
5: Englishmen. Yeah. And those that would strip us of those rights.
11: I do not have the luxury of your birth or your purse, Sam, to spend my days fomenting dissension. I intend to prove this colony is governed by law. John. Whatever you and your sons of liberty may say on the matter. John.
5: We're all sons of liberty here. So it wasn't exactly
3: like... Huh? Still so obnoxious? <laughs> no,
1: I'm just... I don't
3: know. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Canadian. Okay, now give me... Now, give,
2: <laughs> now give me the backstory of the uh, Gadsden flag. Because that, that was like... That's the entire like uh, opening credits is the Gadsden flag.
3: The join or die?
2: Yeah, with the snake and don't tread on me and all that. Mm-hmm.
3: Okay, there's two different snake ones. There's a the snake with the pieces and that's the join or die. And each piece, if you look at it, has a different name of a different colony. Mm. And the idea is that if those, if the colonies didn't come together, then, or as Hancock is tri- attributed to saying, um, or is it Franklin? Somebody said, if we don't hang together, we will certainly hang separately, um, mm. meaning a little pun there. But um, if the different colonies didn't come together, they were all going to die. And I love those on, main
0: titles, by the way. I love yeah. the music and the titles. I think it's they're great.
3: And the Don't Tread on Me is, you know, the tread is to walk, so.
0: It's it's a shame that that symbol became yes. co-opted by the Tea Party movement in the United States. And I don't know Yes, if you guys, Matt and Mel, know what the Tea Party is.
2: Libertarians?
0: <sighs> Pretty much. Uh, kind of. A lot of
2: them are very annoying.
3: <laughs> Some of them are
0: libertarians. They 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 just don't like this country, yeah.
3: but they're very patriotic about it.
0: Yes, they, 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 really, want of, it. they, they really want to break it. They really they yeah, They want to they want to destroy it because they love it so much.
3: Yeah, <laughs> they wave a lot of flags while saying just how a lot awful of stupid shit everything is and everybody is and how they should tear the government should be torn down entirely and so forth. It's,
0: yes. And they, that's why they want to be a part of government, so that they can break it. And they really are just job. the dumbest, worst people. They're
3: doing a really good job of succeeding in breaking the government.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And, yeah, they're doing a really good job
0: of it. And so. uh, the tea is uh, taxed enough already,
3: <laughs> which i got to
0: give it, that's clever. But, I mean, <laughs> then then they quit. They came up with the, their name, and then they decided they're done. Mm-hmm.
3: The cleverness stop there. Yeah. But uh, so that's the tea party was done at night and um, they the whole dressing up like Indians thing. It's not like they really did all that much. It was just a disguise thing. It was from what I can understand, it was just more like Halloween than than anything else. And so people wouldn't be able to say they recognize that, you know, well, why didn't you recognize them? I don't know. It was just. You know, they were dressed up like Indians.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I just thought they were going to, like, a costume party. I think it was
3: more deniability than anything, you know. Mm, Look at those weirdos. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was Indians. It wasn't us. They couldn't have made their own tea? No. No? No, because tea doesn't grow in New England, I'm pretty sure. Okay. And even so, there was a whole thing. This is really interesting. Well, maybe. Um back in in those days, there was a whole thing about trying to import seeds that would grow in places and and a lot of countries were well aware that because certain spices and other things just grew in their country that um if they could keep it there, then they had the uh they had the corner on the market so uh, Jefferson actually was, I'm pretty sure that Jefferson was one of them that managed to smuggle uh, seeds from various plants, including certain rice and stuff, into the United States to be able to grow these, um, these products that had to be imported. But there was a whole, it was, it was really difficult to get seeds from, from different plants and, uh, in order to grow them in your country. So Jefferson was big on that. Yeah,
1: Jefferson was big on a lot of things.
3: <laughs> yeah, he was Jefferson. <laughs> yeah. Jefferson. Yeah. He was, he was very, very into agriculture Yeah, as well as architecture and, and, and higher education and, and politics and lots of stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. In- the, yeah. this mini series was directed by Tom Hooper, who uh, also directed the HBO TV movie, Elizabeth I, which, if you haven't seen it, you should see it because it's really good. <clears throat> um, I'm going to read what uh, Tom Hooper says uh, about this, about John Adams. When I met Tom Hanks, producer of the miniseries, Tom was fired up with the excitement of discovering this hidden history. At school, he remembers being taught about the outrage of the Boston Massacre when British soldiers occupying the city opened fire unprovoked on a peaceful crowd. It would have blown his tiny little mind, he said to know that a Boston lawyer defended the British soldiers, that the court found them not guilty, that the man was Adams, who became the second president of the United States. We were intrigued by the idea that England in John Adams was a near equivalent to superpower America today. The British were an occupying military force in Boston, hated by many of the locals. In turn, the local Sons of Liberty were distrusted as insurrectionists by the English. Adams joins the Revolutionary War fighting not for independence, but for his rights as a natural-born Englishman. He doesn't want to be a second-class English citizen. As an English director, I was intrigued to discover that I was tracking the birth of American identity from its English base. John Adams is so fascinating for an English audience because it is the first chapter of our special relationship with the U.S. It is also an epic of ideas, showing through Adams and Jefferson the two themes of American government. Adams sees what the mob is capable of and is distrustful of human beings. They are weak, evil, and vicious. This leads him to believe in strong government, strong laws, a strong executive. Jefferson, growing up in aristocratic isolation in Virginia, is optimistic about the perfectibility of man and believes in giving power back to the people. These themes of less versus more government, state versus federal power, remain central fault lines in American politics.
3: Yep, and interestingly enough, it's usually... Put forward as being a battle between Hamilton and Jefferson. Um,
1: well, only lately. And,
3: well, that's that's what it, how it was put in when I was in school. Um, it was Hamilton versus Jefferson. But then Hamilton and Adams were supposed to be in the same party, but they were at odds with each other, and there was infighting there like crazy. They did not like each other, um, and it's very likely that that's one of the things that made Adams a one-term president. Uh,
0: There's an article here from The Telegraph called John Adams, How the U.S. Learned to Love This Loser. (laughs) (laughs) Adams was the second president of the United States, a squat, uncharismatic, conservative, sandwiched between those revolutionary pillars, George Washington and Thomas Jefferson. In the voluminous, wordy diaries he left, Adams reveals himself as a vain, self-righteous, pugnacious man, convinced of his own victimhood and continually worried about whether people would remember his leading contribution to American independence. He was right to worry. Despite being the last man to speak before the Declaration of Independence was signed and the first U.S. politician to fight successfully for presidential elections, Adams never made it onto the dollar bill. His reputation and his historical relevance were rescued by the Raider by the writer David McAuliffe, whose 2001 Pulitzer Prize-winning biography was adapted for the HBO series. McAuliffe portrayed uh, Adams as intellectually brilliant, passionate, stubborn, highly principled, and deeply dyspeptic. McAuliffe's Adams provided the intellectual cement that held together the revolution and played a crucial financial and diplomatic role in finding America, foreign friends, and money when it needed them. According to McAuliffe, Adams was unlucky to have been overshadowed by Washington and Jefferson. He sank into obscurity, he explained, because he was a one-term president, and we don't like losers. He also noted that the Federalist Party, which Adams led, died out long ago. There wasn't even an annual John Adams dinner to keep his name alive. Even so, America's amnesia about its second president was disgraceful, he said. Except for Washington, there is no more important American in the revolutionary era than John Adams.
3: Yeah, i I think um I know I mentioned the musical seventeen seventy six last last time um seventeen seventy six is a a really good um really easy pill to swallow um as far as this history goes.
0: he plays the violin that's the only song I know from that song in that musical
3: interestingly enough and I used to use that as an audition song back in the day. he
0: talks it right under his chin
3: <laughs> and he bows and he bows. <laughs> oh he knows. Yes, he knows. Stop trying to influence yeah. Oh,
0: maybe I was subconsciously trying to influence my pick for the closing song of the podcast.
3: I, it nice won't be here. from
0: it won't be from seventeen seventy-six.
3: <laughs> Are you sure? Because there's some great stuff that's right out of John Adams'. And it's too end. easy. But it's right out of their letters and stuff. It's I mean it's too easy. I mean when he starts, you know, um, I see fireworks. I see the passion and pomp and parade. I hear the bells ringing out. I see Americans, all Americans, free
1: forevermore. And we Come have Carol on. sing more often. <laughs> 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 I love it, <laughs> Carol. I want you to like. Anytime you have something to say, I want you to sing it now.
3: <laughs> but they were able to. They were able to take adam's words and abigail adam's words both of them that from their letters and put them into lyrics you know it's like um some of the like the love song where she's where she's saying to me uh write to me with um oh what is it sentimental effusion something something how they romantic illusion you know i mean she's going on about what how she wants romantic letters and and he he comes back with do you still smell of vanilla and spring air and you know all this stuff i mean it's great stuff and they stuck it right in the musical just put it to music i mean if you can write in such a way that it can just become lyrics (laughs) it's it says something about your writing
0: here's some uh uh, here's some trivia from uh mm -hmm. this miniseries. during the scene in which nabby has her surgery and john adams is nervously pacing downstairs Abigail says to him, for God's sakes, John, sit down. This is a particularly <laughs> memorable line from the first song in the musical 1776 about the writing and signing of the Declaration of Independence. In his 2015 Pulitzer Prize-winning Hamilton in American Musical, Lin-Manuel Miranda also paraphrased, paraphrased this line from 1776 in the song The Adams Administration by having Alexander Hamilton sing, Sit down, John, you fat motherfucker.
3: The, just for those of you who don't know the the musical sets the tone when and I remember when I first saw it back when I was a kid um, on Broadway the it opens it the curtain doesn't open. Uh, Adams first comes out and he says one of his famous quotes about um you know how about a congress and it being totally inept and then the curtain opens and they all just look at him and say, "Sit down, John." And sing this whole song about sit down, John, sit down, John, and so that you get the idea that oh, wait a minute, we are not dealing with these um, untouchable, you know, highly respected founding fathers who are not real people, and it's really well done.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: But yeah, I've seen
0: that a couple times.
3: Yeah, isn't
0: the guy from Boy Meets World in it? Doesn't he play? Doesn't he play John Adams?
3: Yes, he does. Yeah. He does. He also was the voice of Kit in Knight Rider. He was also uh Doctor Somebody or Another on Saint Elsewhere. And uh he was the original John Adams on Broadway and then they and then um how um
0: <laughs> Kit.
3: What's his name? Um the the guy who plays Thomas Jefferson later on, um
0: Stephen Delane? Oh, no, you're talking about on the no, no. musical.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um Uh, Howard, um, can't come up with his first name, but, uh, he, he played White Shadow in an old TV series, and then he, um, played a lot of fathers and stuff on, on different series later on, but, uh, yeah, they were, the ones in the movie, the movie is not nearly as good as the Broadway show was, but, um, get on DVD, not the old VHS version, because, uh, Nixon got them to cut out the song by the Southern uh, people called um, "We Are Conservative Men" that was Nixon felt that it uh, would would paint conservatives in a bad light and like
0: being pro censorship,
3: like <laughs> like being satisfied with the status quo because they have theirs and to hell with everybody else.
0: Huh. Well, that doesn't and sound like a conservative at all.
3: No, not at all.
0: Speaking uh, of TGIF, uh, uh-huh. Young Abigail. In that last scene where John is riding out of town, um, I'm like, who is that actress? She looks so familiar. Uh, I don't really know the actress, but then I realized that she reminded me of Kimmy Gibbler from Full House.
1: And <laughs> do you think it is?
0: <laughs> it's not, though, but oh. she it was like her kind of crooked mouth. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, funny. Yeah. So I want to just say like the couple things that I um, really uh, like stood out to me from this, um, from part one. Um, I liked the guy with, like, the heavy Boston accent who, uh, took the stand. Uh, he was, oh, no, he was the, um, he was, like, the jury foreman. And he was very, like, Pak, the con Havid Yod. Like, he had, like, that, like, real New England accent. Uh, that made me laugh. Um, I like Sam Adams being, like, a real kind of, like, um, uh, jackass toward his cousin. Yes. Yep. Um, and who's Danny Houston played, uh, John Adams, or Sam Adams. Who today we just know him as the, the guy that made the beer. Uh, somebody wrote. Uh, somebody said "taint of anarchy," which made me laugh. Uh, taint. <laughs> of the word
1: taint.
9: This colony does not dictate to Parliament, John, nor to the King. If the Crown decides tea is to be taxed, it will be taxed. Well, would you have the Empire bankrupted? The war we fought to expand our territory, to protect our borders from the Indians and their French allies, it was a costly affair. We're not here to debate the necessity of taxes, Jonathan,
11: but the manner in which they are imposed. Massachusetts must shoulder its share of the burden. And be treated as second-class citizens without the rights and liberties of natural-born Englishmen. Old liberty in this colony has often carried a taint of anarchy.
0: I wrote eek penis, <laughs> and then... These are not necessarily good notes, I think. What what else did I have here? Uh oh, I really liked when uh she's reading his 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 uh closing argument and is like, we know you're smart. You don't have to tell the world you're smart by quoting other smart men. And he kind of wants to be a little upset with her, but when she laughs, he laughs because he laughs despite himself, because he loves her so much. Why do it's, you laugh?
1: It's <laughs> so it was so she, they're so cute. <laughs> they are very cute.
2: But he still went ahead and used the quote anyways, and he yeah, I know a, it was
1: funny. She was, she was He's there. Like, like, she was
2: there. He used one. He did it anyways.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he only he only used one quote. Right. So I got the feeling from the what she was saying that he, he had cop- a lot of quotes. He and, compromised. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. He compromised. I, I,
0: I he's sort of like I'll let you edit me a little bit but I'm looking at you just to let you know i am kept Aww. one in despite you
2: also I love Aww. you <laughs> they're it, so cute it, it, Ah,
4: it yeah. is so cute, I love it
2: you did not like it I did not say that oh you did not have to
8: it is a fine summary for the defense there is, is much to admire it is perhaps at times yes There's not a person in Boston who doubts your education. Your command of language, you... me, you were charming me,
11: Abigail. You never charm me. That's what you're about to say is cutting.
8: John. Vanity. Vain! You have overburdened your argument with ostentatious erudition do not need to quote great men to show you all one
3: and in a lot of uh, his letters to her you know it's like he he uh chides himself for his weakness in wanting her approval so much you know Aww. but uh he yeah he obviously wants her approval and
1: um i mean I he wants she she's so she's so smart you know like yeah she was self taught yeah. and uh awesome.
3: Whereas he, you know, he went to Harvard and stuff and, um, but, uh, yeah, she was self-taught and she was, she was quite, quite brilliant. She made a, uh, a plea for women's rights, uh, when they were writing the constitution. Um, Mm -hmm. it's a wonderful passage. I don't have it here, but, uh, about, you know, not forgetting about the ladies, because if you give the men too much power, give any man too much power, they become a despot. And uh, they didn't listen to her, but
1: she know. tried.
0: Yeah. Um, Mel, would you please read Harold's feedback for sure. John Adams?
1: Okay. <clears throat> I had never seen the John Adams miniseries. I was impressed enough with the first part to watch the second, and I probably will continue on. I think where this really excels is in placing the audience through the experience of living through a revolutionary moment, and the creation of a nation based upon laws and ideas about liberty and freedom. We take it for granted now, but it was an unprecedented moment for them. I had to remind myself that this series was made a year or two before the phrase Tea Party came back into vogue, because at times it felt like it was a direct response. I'm thinking of the moment when the Tea Partiers were convened on the docks to complain about how their liberty was being infringed by British monopolies and taxes, while fresh slaves were being brought on deck in the background. My one slight negative is I think Paul Giamatti was miscast. Aww. Maybe it's because William Daniels' portrayal of Adams in the movie version of 1776 has left a deep impression on me. <laughs> yeah. Is that the musical you guys were talking about? Yep, mm-hmm. that's exactly the musical. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I watched that movie several times as a kid, and to me that is the definitive John, John Adams. Definitive John Adams, sorry. Someone who is extremely opinionated, prickly, has great difficulty connecting and socializing with others, and someone who gets frustrated and despairs because he recognizes all these failings and knows he can't help himself from being an asshole. (laughs) Uh. He's the guy who looks around the room and sees that Washington is a great leader, Franklin is a great wit, Jefferson is a great writer, but he is mainly just a great irritant. (laughs) he has this whole other side to him, his great love for his wife and family. While this scripted version of John Adams is similar to the one in that movie, Paul Giamatti doesn't have the haughtiness or commanding presence that Daniel's brought to the part, and I miss that. Um, I think he would have made a better Franklin. (laughs) On the other hand, Laura Laney is just tremendous as Abigail Adams. I think this is my favorite role of hers. There are some great scenes in these first two parts of her guiding her husband, running her household, conferring with George Washington, and being ready to defend her family against soldiers in the pox. How do you defend your family? I'm just picturing her with like a, like a, I don't know, like a sword or something, trying to like fend off the pox. <laughs> <laughs> Get away, you poxy people! A pox, away- a pox on you! <laughs> uh, anyways. Th- <laughs> Thank, you, <Harold>. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Harold.
2: Thank you, Harold.
1: I kind of want to watch the musical now. You should! I don't I'm not a fan of musicals in general, but yeah
3: it's listen to the listen to the lyrics because the lyrics do move things right a, you know a lot of what's going on is right in the music and stuff mm-hmm. it, it there's no like dead spots, you know what I mean? The story is all along. It's not like, okay, now we're going to have a song, and we'll get back to the story in a minute. uh-uh, yeah, none of that at all. everything is moving the story along but i I have to agree with Harold as far as the Giamatti does a great job, but he I mean there is a reason why Adams was overlooked a lot. um i mean he they have time in the series to explore his vanity and to explore his his ambition, you know that that everybody recognizes is there, and he seems to try and cover up you know all the time. I mean, he was a minister's son and his wife was a minister's daughter and, you know, they're very steeped in Puritanism and stuff, even though they became Unitarians, um, later on and, um, as adults, but they've still got that, you know, you mustn't have ambition and stuff. And he obviously did. And, you know, and that was a frustration for him, but he does not have like a commanding presence that somebody, I mean, Adams couldn't have made it as far as he did, just on on uh, intellect, considering that his his uh, personality was a little on the prickly side.
0: <laughs> I found this review from the New York Times. Uh, it's not his fault, Mr. Giamatti, who starred in Sideways is a gifted actor. Still, in this historical drama, Mr. Giamatti is a prisoner of a limited range in rubbery, cuddly looks. In 18th century breeches and wigs, he looks like Shrek. Aww. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Oh yeah, oh, they didn't t- like him either. They thought he was the weakest part of the uh, the miniseries. What? I don't know. I I I liked him. I liked his. I liked him too. I thought his rousing speech at the end, where he says liberty will reign in America, and then he sits down and he tells his his friends he's like like maybe it will,
2: <laughs> but like in that <laughs> moment he like he lets
0: himself kind of get carried away, and then his sort of like natural cautious nature just rears up and is like. I mean it might (laughs) it might rain maybe let it be known that British
11: liberties are not the grants of princes or parliaments that many of our rights are inherent and essential agreed on as maxims and established as preliminaries even before parliament existed we have a right to them derived from our maker. Our forefathers have earned and bought liberty for us at the expense of their ease, their estates, their pleasures, and their blood. Liberty is not built on the doctrine that a few nobles have a right to inherit the earth. No! No! It stands on this principle that the meanest and lowest of the people are by the unalterable, indefeasible laws of God and nature, as well entitled to the benefit of the air to breathe, light to see, food to eat, and clothes to wear as the nobles or the king. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. <laughs>
8: And their delegates, we have
11: Have they? To argue against the Crown, the Commons, the Lords? No. John. no, we New England men are not fit for the times, Abigail. What have we seen of the world beyond Boston? What have we seen?
8: I fear we're not know what we do, Abigail. When men know not what to do, John, they ought not to do, they know not what.
3: I like I like his acting a lot.
0: I thought he I like was him. great, like yelling at his kids like it was like a, a tender like anger when he was yes. Remove yourself, sir. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's so great. Uh, yeah. I wanted yeah. to be my dad. <laughs> <laughs> I wish my dad would talk would have talked to me like that when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh,
0: it's a shame we didn't get to see tom wilkinson in this uh in this first part he plays benjamin franklin um and uh later on you know they go to they go to france and uh that that's a fun change of scenery Stephen delane plays jefferson he's not in part one so yeah
3: yeah yeah since he hasn't gotten to philadelphia yet yeah that's the thing these guys are really interesting people you know it that's one thing about, you know, this particular part of American history, why they it's like Adams and Jefferson and Franklin. And they were very, very interesting people. Hamilton isn't really part of it yet. He's too young. He's I think he's still in the Caribbean at this point.
0: He he does show up in the uh, in the series at some point. Yeah, um, he's got you just get the impression that America today is. deprived of intellectual heavyweights like we had back then they're just not in politics they're just not in government
3: and we won't let them be because every politician is supposed to prove how of the people they are and if they have two brain cells to rub together they are labeled some kind of elite whatever and you know it's it's ridiculous we've got so much anti-intellectualism in this country it's really sad and and if anybody doubted that, look who is our president.
0: ay yeah, 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 Okay, so.
3: Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I had uh, yeah. to, it's,
0: Guys, it's tough out over here.
3: <laughs> it really is. It really is. Oh. Uh, and I do not apologize to those Trump supporters who used to listen to us who turned off a long time ago. I hope
0: they never did. I can't b- believe that they would have.
3: I don't know. I don't know. I uh I won't go into it. But anyway, um another some some notes that I had on this was um I don't know if anybody noticed it, but one of the things they were setting up with Abigail besides the fact that she was just, you know, she was well read and she was educated, like having her teaching Latin to her kids and stuff, is also they did a little juxtaposition at the dinner when when uh, the British were trying to bribe Adams into coming over to their side by offering him a job Um, in the dinner. The um, Abigail is just listening and listening. And then she makes a comment to her husband about, um, Oh, you're not saying anything. And then she says something in Latin and the fellow, not Adams, but the fellow they're having dinner with either feels the need or genuinely needs to, explain to his wife what she meant. So they're kind of setting up the difference between Abigail Adams and most of the wives who were supposed to be like, um, an ornament. Abigail was not an ornament.
0: Yep. Which I guess you really see in the subsequent parts because he is removed from her, but this series checks in with her and her at the farm. And, and as Harold said in his feedback, um, Fending off her farm from British soldiers, taking care of her children during the pox. You know, she's, she's all over this, this miniseries showing what an awesome woman she was.
3: Yeah. And she had to be because among other things, you know, I mean, as I say, even in the musical in 1776, where everything is taking place in Philadelphia, they have her coming into the whole thing. She's in Massachusetts and it's all about their letters going back and forth. And she, cause she was giving him advice through letters. He was asking for her advice. Um, yeah, she was a big part of, they were true partners. Oh, wow.
11: I have done it, Mrs. Adams.
3: Oh! <laughs> oh! <laughs> oh!
8: <laughs>
11: yeah.
8: There will be no oh. living with you at all now, I suppose. <laughs> children congratulate your father congratulations, congratulations
11: father, father. well wow, thank you thank you Charles fetch my pipe.
8: yes sir nabby tea yes father
11: Johnny come here and help me with my boots yes father there we are oh John <laughs> <laughs> <Harder>. <laughs> <laughs> there we go
0: uh let's rate this thing and uh we d- we forgot to do this for entreatment but would you watch another episode for
1: entreatment. we forgot to we yeah. forgot
0: to answer that uh <laughs> that question uh but that's that's fine um i'll start i love this this miniseries uh it's not really part one's fault that some of the best characters jefferson and franklin are not in it uh it's what what is here is great and uh I'm glad that it's like an extra long episode because if it was just the trial that would have felt um it would have felt thin because you know we come for we came for the revolution and just to get to not have uh enough talk about independence and and rights and whatever would have would have been disappointing but but we we got more because the episode was a little bit longer we got to see the you know the go to the docks and see stuff about the tea and the tarned feathering was extremely disturbing um I, lo- I just love the relationship between John and Abigail. Uh, I really can't think of anything that I don't like about it, so I'll, I'm going to give it uh, 10 out of 10 Taints of Anarchy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> did you? Uh, what did you think of the Tyrant Feathering scene compared to the Carnival Tyrant Feathering scene? That was the most oh, brutal They're both bad.
0: Okay. They're yeah. both bad. This one I felt maybe was a little worse because it was the mob, like a big mob of people doing it to him. And it felt like mm-hmm. kind of like really out of nowhere. Like it wasn't even like in Carnival, there was like a personal animus that those guys had toward that certain character. Uh, whereas this is just like, he was just a dude. He was just doing just his a job. dude trying to do his job. Like it was, but it was awful and cruel. At,
3: but a lot of tax collectors and stuff were targeted that, that was, that was something that was going on. And it was, it was to intimidate, you know, the, you know, people who worked for the crown and stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, got to show
2: the warts and all. Ooh. And give me the goodie guts. <laughs>
3: yeah. Who
2: wants to go next? Uh I liked it a lot. Um I would watch another episode. I don't know if I will. I don't know if I get around to it, but I'd be willing to. Um What year did this come out? This was 2008. Okay. Yeah. It feels feels like it's of high quality like like the shows that come out nowadays. Um, unlike the in-treatment show which was very obviously a budget show <laughs> um, yeah I liked it a lot it was an interesting topic uh, good actors I'll give it a 9 out of 10 penises in public
4: no <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> poor stripped guy Got it wasn't his fault and feathered. the feathering is just like insult to injury <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean just taking his clothes off would have been enough <laughs> would have been, wor- would have been yeah. bad enough.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and the other thing that makes this worse than the Carnival one is because there was so many of them doing it, they can all leave feeling like they're not responsible.
1: Yeah, it was terrible. Um, I'll go next, I guess. Uh, I liked it a lot. Um, I had a hard time following some of the stuff, but that's because I'm spoiled because I watch TV with subtitles on because so I'm terrible at listening. Probably mentioned this before, but I just really like subtitles because it helps. Kind you of, you can turn the subtitles on. <laughs> can you? Can you? Matt? Matt's always the one that controls this.
3: <laughs> this whole like
1: endeavor of watching, <laughs> of watching these shows. Matt, I was gonna turn you? them on
3: for uh for in treatment, and I couldn't find a way to turn them on.
1: I have no idea how to do that. I don't know. Matt, Matt plays the. Tell me how. Shows, yeah. I can tell you. Anyway, later. tell him how I later. How later? Yes. Tell us how later. But that would have helped a lot. If it because... involves
0: the Plex server, it's not working. Well, then good. that's your fault because that's what it involves. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, but I can tell you what you're doing wrong because I know because it's it's how the uh, the files are named. You have to rename the files, and I will tell you what you need to do. Ah.
1: Anyways, yeah, I did I did enjoy it. I enjoyed the characters. I don't think Paul Giamatti is a bad choice. I liked him, but maybe if I had seen the musical, I might disagree. I don't know. Uh, I, yeah, I like the characters, I like, I like history, I find it interesting, so yeah, uh, I'll give it a nine out of ten, uh, wigs for any occasion. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, I really liked it. I did see, I did see the next episode and the one after that and the one after that, um, years ago, um, but then my DVR broke. And I didn't get to see the last few episodes. <clears throat> I don't remember where I left off. So I'm gonna try and see those again. Um I I thought Giamatti did a really good job, but I have to agree that he doesn't have the command of and the presence that uh that one would think that a John Adams would have, though Lord knows it doesn't look like it in his portraits too much. Um I thought Abigail was just played incredibly well in this. And all the acting was good and I love the 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 way they they're handling the transition that John Adams is going through because he goes through a lot of transitions. I mean, beginning of this he didn't want to take sides too much, even though he was definitely more for Sons of Liberty, and uh by the end he's going to the Continental Congress, where, spoiler alert, he is not going to be looking for independence. He just wants the, his rights as an Englishman. But gradually, they're going to have to take his story through to where he is one of the main voices for independence, if not the main voice for independence. So I'm going to give this a 10 out of 10 um, beautiful love letters with vocabulary you never hear anymore.
0: Right. like averages out to a 9.5. I think that's the highest rated thing we've watched.
3: It's really good.
0: It, it was, was really good. good.
3: Hmm. We should watch the movie together.
0: 1776? Yeah. We're not an American history podcast, even though we like to talk about American history.
3: But that
1: would be fun, though.
3: But, it would but be you guys you guys do extra podcasts all the time. You don't invite me, but you guys do extra <laughs> podcasts all the time.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's okay, guys. I'm not hurt. <laughs> yeah. What? what?
1: Bunch of jerks we are.
3: <laughs> it's okay. Carol,
10: don't tar
1: and feather us. <laughs> <laughs>
3: no, I'm not a violent person. Good.
0: Is Timothy the Oliphant in 1776?
3: No. <laughs> no, but William Daniels is. Mr. Yeah. Feeny? Matt. Mr. Feeny. William Daniels <laughs> is in everything. He's got to have been cross paths somewhere. <laughs> Let's see if, I'll see if I can find, you know, like, six degrees of separation to Timothy <laughs> Oliphant. Oh, that would be great. <laughs> With somebody in that cast.
4: <laughs>
0: Everyone just watch it on your own time. It is, it is a good show. Uh,
1: <laughs> you tried,
3: to let me have any fun.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we can try it. We'll sh- we should just try to bug Matt about it every time. Yeah. <laughs> Next podcast, we'll just be like, what about 1776? Huh? ah. ah?
0: <laughs> maybe. We'll see. Why don't we post that as a should we watch thing in the uh in the group?
3: And maybe I maybe I should uh go to John Pavlich and see if uh he'll watch it with me.
0: Well, you guys want to know what we're gonna talk about next time? Yep. i guys I'm really excited. Yeah. Because we finally get to watch the uh yeah. the first episode of one of my favorite shows, the number one ladies' detective agency.
3: All
1: right.
2: Is that about
0: uh, it is about a detective agency. <laughs> the number one ladies detective agency. The number agency. one ladies detective agency. Yeah. <laughs>
1: okay, explain. so
3: it's going to be really about a detective agency? It's not going to be some kind of bait and switch? Maybe. <laughs> oh, come on! <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: no, no, actually it's not. It is uh, It is about a, a woman who decides she wants to be a detective. and All her right. And she hires an assistant, who's also a female. And, um... And they investigate like little cases.
3: All right, I can get on board with that.
0: And there's stuff I'm not telling you because
3: I had assumed that
0: because <laughs> <laughs> it has a it has a uniqueness to it, which will become apparent the moment you start the episode. And I, I know, and I won't spoil it for you, but it is right. it's going to be unlike anything, kind of unlike anything you've seen so far uh, from the network, um, because okay. it was actually a co-production um with with the with the bbc so i know that anthony uh Minghella, a british director uh adapted the book and directed the pilot episode which aired ahead of the rest of the rest of the the series so it was like um it was almost like a tv movie pilot and then they decided the bbc decided to order six more episodes so there's seven in total. It sadly didn't get renewed for a second season, which is like what like was really upsetting. Um and when it aired on HBO, I think they just aired all set like the pilot and then the seven six episodes after that, like in one season. So the pilot episode like didn't air on HBO until like a year after it aired on the BBC. Cool. So I'm try- I was trying to put all these things in chronological order and I didn't know if I should consider it because it aired before it aired like in 2008 in the B- in the uk but it didn't air until 2009 in-, in hbo like when do i actually fit it into our schedule but earlier is better because i enjoy it so i wanted to watch it sooner rather than later
4: <laughs> um
0: oh and just be aware that i think it's like 90 minutes no 109 minutes so allow yourself extra time to watch this one it's a little bit longer than a normal episode and then we'll be watching the premiere of the miniseries generation Kill. Which I'm much less excited about watching.
3: Generation Kill. It's
0: called Generation Kill. Oh,
3: okay.
0: Mm. And I don't know. It's about the Iraq War or something. Uh, official synopsis: A Rolling Stone reporter embedded with the with the first recon Marines chronicles his experiences during the first wave of the American-led assault on Baghdad in 2003.
3: Okay. So
0: that'll happen too. That's next time.
3: All right. Well, you know, you got to take the good with the bad.
0: Yeah. And that I'm afraid that, that one might actually be a little bit longer too. Because they're both these are both um short series, like they're not regular TV shows. Okay. One's a mini series, the other one was kind of a BBC mini series. Or just I would not recommend watching them the morning we do the podcast. <laughs>
4: okay.
0: Otherwise you'll be late for the podcast. Whenever we schedule this. I don't know. <laughs> As always you can find us at hoopalcast.com, send in feedback to hoopalcast at gmail.com. Go on to Facebook, find the Facebook group, just search for Hoopalcast, you'll find us there. On Twitter, at Hoopalcast, I retweet Deadwood-related things. Anybody want to plug anything before we go?
2: Mm, Matt is wrong about games, and Shenmue AM2 podcast. Two video game podcasts.
0: If we're not playing video games, we're talking about games.
2: Yep.
0: Sounds good. All right, well, until later, goodbye.
3: Fuck, fuck you! Fuck you! Ah, I got it out
0: before you did,
2: ha ha ha.
3: Remove yourselves.
2: Remove yourselves. Is that our new new sign-off? Remove (laughs) yourselves.
1: Remove yourselves from this podcast.
10: (laughs) You know, girls, it's great to live in a democracy today where freedom is everywhere. But, girls, we often take this freedom for granted, freedom of speech of thoughts and freedom of action. But you know, gals, just because a bunch of men signed that Declaration of Independence in 1776 doesn't mean that freedom was for men alone. Oh, no, you take Tom Jefferson, Ben Franklin, John Hancock. Is a hell of a guy for you right there. <laughs> All these men had wives. They probably had a few broads on the side, too. These women wanted freedom just as much as their men did. But, gals, I wonder, do we? I think it's time that we women thought about it a bit. Hell, I think it's time we did something about it. So come on, fellow females of the 20th century. Be glad that you're an American. Proclaim your freedom. Stand in attention. Pledge allegiance. And your boobies, get into the swing, bounce your boobies, the swing is everything, makes no difference if they're big or small, as long as you ah, give them your all, bounce your boobies. something to give but it sure looks like it sometimes just look around you men stick out all over the place big fat cigars big fat stomachs and just where they should stick out where is it yes girls we know what we've got and we know what they're worth so come on, gals, let's get into the swing of things. Give your boobies some freedom. All together now. Bounce your boobies. Let them rock and roll. Not your knockers. Keep them hot and sold. Just admit it, gals, it sure feels great to feel them swinging. Ooh, get a late. Bounce your boobies.